Each top me selector. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. I know you're gonna dig this. I did dig that. I did. I did dig that. <laughs> That's good, David. We are live. You want to take it from here, big dog? Uh, well, welcome to another edition of Believing Radio. I'm your host, Dave Duenas, with my co-host, Maestro Amilcar. How you doing, bro? Good, David. Uh, very interesting weekend. Great fight. Sad news. Then some big news today. So we've got a lot to talk about as it relates to the world of boxing. Yeah, you know, we definitely got a lot of hand wraps to unwrap here on Leave the Ring. If you're wondering why we're on the Milk Cars channel, it's because today, first time ever, I got my YouTube channel suspended. Believe that or not. I was uh, posting the interview that we had did with Marvinous Marvin Hagler, uh, rest in peace, brother. And uh, YouTube sent me an, an email saying that I was violating the community rules because uh, uh, I was spanning and it was this deceased this whatever the fuck they were saying anyways make a long story short i had to um resubmit it and then explain that it wasn't a spam whatever reasons hopefully we can get my channel back up if not it'll be two weeks from now i should be able to get it back up but for now we're here on a mill cards uh, channel and uh, like you said man a lot of stuff to unwrap um be sure to jab the like button hit the uh, you know uppercut the subscription and don't leave it up to the judges. Hit that little notification bell so you know when we're all live every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Leave the Ring. So, um, man, you said it. Bad news, sad news on March 13th. We had uh, unexpected news, something that caught me off guard um, when I looked down on my phone, finding out that one of my favorite all-time heroes – uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler had passed away from natural causes, uh, um, you know, man, when I saw that, I was like, this has got to be a joke, right? I was like, no, there's no way. He's really young, uh, 66 years old. Um, there was no report of any from anybody about it. Um, I just, man, I was blown away, man. I mean, it just didn't even sink in honestly until like, I want to say like Sunday afternoon evening maybe that it finally hit me where i was like he just didn't he's gone yeah uh caught me off guard because from what i understood he was actually in really good shape uh recently you know right. 66 years old apparently he was like cycling you know i think it was 30 miles or something more than that a day like he was in tremendous physical condition it sounds like he was having issues with his lungs and his breathing. So the first thing I thought about, obviously, was COVID. COVID, right. Um, and obviously, that will be a super sad, uh, you know, uh, death due to COVID if it ends up being a, due to COVID. But regardless of what it was, we've lost a true great as it relates to the sport of boxing. Not just the middleweight division, not just that era, but you know, all-time great in the sport of boxing. You know, going back, and the reason why they suspended uh, YouTube, my channel, for yeah. two weeks or whatever, and I'm contesting it, um, was listening to that interview, man. I mean, that interview, I did it, ooh, I want to say 10 years ago, and uh, listening to what he had said, was saying about the sport at that time, uh, you know, enjoying his retirement, he was commentating for fights. Um, he he spoke so much truth about how the sport is now a business 
it's not like how it was when he was the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, which was, you know, a guy that took on all the fights and wanted to fight the best and wanted to, excuse me, show that he was the best, you know? And he said that in an interview he was saying like, you know, fighters were all class. That's why it was considered a gentleman's sport where yeah. nowadays, you know, you see just these kids, they go over the top of pushing and shoving and acting a fool and, and just not conducting themselves in this, in a, in a, in a gentleman's manner, even though, Marvelous had even said, look, I'm I'm from the same spots you guys are from. You know, I I grew up in the ghetto. I fought to get out of the ghetto. But, you know, he he knew that there was bigger and better things, you know, and that you eventually had to leave that attitude there because now you were fighting to get out of there. And like he said, his his whatever problems. And he said that he said this perfect, man. I couldn't agree with them more when he said to us that. Fighters that have problems outside the ring, they shouldn't be having that. You should be able to leave those problems the night of the fight, meaning that all that aggression or depression or whatever you're going through, that's when you're supposed to use it to the peak of, you know, of, of what you're doing. You know, that's what brings out the best of you. If you're able to focus and get all that negativity and just put it into the ring where it really, really matters and rather than, than, you know, letting it linger outside where it, it really screws up your career. And, you know, uh, uh, as we've seen, like when you think off the top of your head, like Adrian Broner and, and whatnot, you know, even like David Benavides who fought this Saturday on March 13th on Showtime, who had his little run with like cocaine and missing weight, you know, Marvis was like, that stuff shouldn't happen, you know, because you should be an athlete, you should be professional. And if you do have, some demons that should be left inside the ring on fight night. Yeah, absolutely. And it's unfortunate, like you said, Dave, that um, that kind of an era seems to have, have gone. I mean, the era of someone from that background, from that environment, um, kind of with that quiet discipline, it's, of a definitely another era. To a certain extent, right. Hop kind of had it. Um, but even B-Hop talked a lot more smack when he when he wanted to than than uh, Hagler did. Um, and, you know, obviously did things like what he did when he went into Puerto Rico and the comment he had right. about Alzagi and there was other things too. But, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a different era for sure. Uh, and he, he laid a legacy that's obviously going to be tough to follow. Um, right. And, you know, it's it's all, all we can say is that uh, there's only one marvelous uh, Marvin Hagler. And I do not think that there'll be another one. No, never. Just like there will never be another Salvador Sanchez, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez, Muhammad Ali. You know, Hagler was one of a kind uh, in and outside of the ring. Very intelligent person, you no, know, but commanded respect and got that respect. And I and I talked about that on uh, today's show, which I do have the MP3 to it, so I'll, I'll post that. But you know, I did I did say this. Look, um, you know, Hagler fought at a time where didn't have any help in terms of social media or media 
fanboys to pump them up and, and get them out there. Hagler had to do it the old school way, which was fight the fights and corner the champions to get them to fight him, you know? And you look back at his career and you, you kind of sit there and go like, wow, it's amazing that how brutal of a sport this is that these guys, I'm not saying that the fighters now don't have that thick skin, but but you really had to have an extra skin, layer of skin on you to be in that era of the, you know, 90s and down because those paved roads that, that were made were really done by hardship and workmanship. Whereas nowadays, Amilcar, tell me if I'm wrong, you're seeing fighters actually getting accolades and, and getting uh, fights handed to them a little too early, too soon. And Hagler even brought that up, you know, about how guys are just getting fights that really didn't honestly not not either ready or haven't earned. Well, there was no Instagram in Marvinless Marvin Hagler. Right. Uh, there was no way for him to call out the equivalent of Manny Pacquiao in in his era right uh you know as you can you imagine a guy like marvelous marvin hagler at the age of 21 or 22 calling out like a legend of his time or whoever that would have been and demanding a fight like it's you can't even imagine that but that's no. what it's today you know you can't imagine marvelous marvin hagler getting into instagram and, and twitter beefs with his peers uh it just wasn't like that back then and you no, went to the hard way. Yeah, there were some easier fights uh, uh, sandwiched in between the hard fights. But these were guys that fought tough. They fought often. And like he said in what I saw you post earlier today, and I was actually watching it, David, before YouTube did what YouTube unfortunately does. He said he used to let his fists do the talking. Yep. So... Yeah, I mean, we're going to miss him. I'm probably going to go back and watch the HBO Legendary Nights at some point this week. Yeah. Hagler Hearns, that was a really good one. And there was another one, too, on Hagler Leonard, which is also really good. I'll probably watch both of those uh, Legendary Nights uh, this week and, you know, honor the man in my own way. You know, when I was uh, listening to that interview um, and I was bringing up that I had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, memorabilia of Hagler, I was like, I was like, I got up after him. I had to look for some of the stuff that I had because I got so much stuff. And as you can see in my office, my whole office dedicated to the sport that we love and we talk about most here. But one, there's one piece of the memorabilia of Hagler that I got that's actually very dear to me because it's, it was given to me by my dad. My dad hasn't passed. I'm not saying he's passed away. But my dad was an old school Mexican-American Chicano uh, my dad was born in Texas, uh, Eagle Pass, Texas, uh, lived a very hard life, uh, worked out, started working in the fields at the age of three. Uh, but he, my, my dad's never been consumed with any sport or like he wasn't your like all around type of fella, meaning like, you know, my dad wasn't into My dad worked on cars, but he wasn't into cars, you know, like that wasn't his goal was to buy a sports car, a muscle car, anything like that. And he didn't really get into boxing. He'd watch it because it was there. I really got my love from the sport 
from my grandfather and my uncle Mario, the both who had passed on. But my dad wasn't a soccer fan, baseball fan, football fan, none of that. He was just this guy that really honestly wanted to get by through life, you know, with this hard, this hard thing that we live in called life. But my dad, um, my dad did time, a lot of time, um, unfortunately. So we, we would lose contact because my dad was in and out of prison. Um, and it goes to this memorabilia that I got from Hagler. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because my dad had just finally uh, changed his life, right, Mokar? Um, he just got out of prison. And uh, my dad was in there for almost close to 17 years. And then when he got out, he straightened his life up. And my dad got a job, was getting everything kind of back in order. And uh, we didn't have that father-son type of relationship because I didn't really grow up with him. Um, but here was a man that really didn't know me, but knew that I loved the sport of boxing, knew that I boxed, knew that I did this, and you know, all, all this stuff. And my firstborn was around and uh, we're, I go to go visit him because he had just got his place. And I walk through the door and my, and my dad's not one to go like, hey, I love you or, or any of that. You know what I mean? It's a typical, you know, uh, hard nail Chicano, Mexican-American, right? Just that's just my dad didn't like to hug. It's just this wasn't him. OK, but my, I'm sitting down on his couch and my father goes, uh, oh, hey, hey. And this is the way my dad talks. I'm not even joking. But my dad goes, hey, fucker. Uh, hey, I got you something. It's in the kitchen. And. I walked over to the kitchen and this is what he got me. And he blew me away because for a moment I was like Hagler and, and Duran, right? Duran. Yeah. And for a moment I go, I said, uh, in my head, I'm like, Holy shit. I didn't know he knew that Hagler was one of my favorite, like that's one of my, you know, my favorite fighter, my favorite middleweight. And uh, I even said, I, go, I didn't know, that, hey, you know, I didn't know you knew that Hagler was my favorite fighter. And my dad, <laughs> he said, who? I said, Hagler, you know, Roberto Duran and Hagler there. But Hagler, you know, Hagler was my favorite fighter. My dad goes, oh, I just saw it, man. And I just figured, ah, this kid likes boxing. I'll buy it from. Oh, wow. By luck. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, that that's a great story, Dave. Um but that just shows you who Hagler was. I mean, they were making memorabilia of him and all of his great fights. And it's a name that's going to obviously live on for years and decades, if not more to come. Now, the big news of the weekend was obviously Estrada Gonzalez. And I know you to talk about the judging in this fight. Dave. Why don't we talk about the fight itself first and uh, your thoughts? Well, first, I think as everybody had thought was that this fight was going to be explosive. There was going to be fireworks. Uh, there was high expectations. This was a fight that was in the making for, you know, a rematch for 11 years. Um, and you know what? It delivered and it delivered even more. Uh, it, it, it really honestly, Amokar took me and I was telling this to uh, a friend of mine named Noel who does a, podcast himself called boxing on the go because he had called me yesterday uh and i said dude it really just i i felt like i was in a time capsule i felt like i was watching the hbo after darks and getting that 
that take of the Morales and Barrera film of when they first uh, stepped in and to 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 fight each other. That's what Gonzalez and Estrada gave us. You know, they they reminded us why this sport is so rich, why this sport is is, is so so heavy on our mind when we're thinking about upcoming fights or why we want particular fighters to face off because there's strong potential of of fights coming out like this and Chacaltito and, and Estrada reminded us that this it's there's still the possibilities with all the politics and the money that circulates in and, and really dirties up the sport there are still warriors that are willing to to put on the gloves and just give us back what we thirst for which is just good traditional mastery boxing between two men yeah i was saying this before the fight happened i'm gonna say it again people gotta stop sleeping on the little guys you know (laughs) i became a fan of your show david many many years ago was because it was a forum where i could call in and talk about boxing and it not just be about floyd mayweather or manny pacquiao or the heavyweights or you know, we could get into the nitty gritty of the sport in a way that was not really happening in the mainstream or even like beyond the mainstream. You know, uh, they didn't really show these fights on Friday night fights. You know, they didn't show anything really b- b- below 126 pounds. And when Chocolatito emerged onto the scene, and got kind of a little bit of a push on HBO. It was a great thing because it opened up people's minds to what was going on in the lower weight divisions. And you were obviously super excited about this fight. I was obviously super excited about this fight. We're talking about two high-level tacticians, both of whom who can crack, both of whom who have chins, both of whom you know can change speed, change direction, uh, punch... In volume, more than 2,000 punches were thrown on Saturday night, right? And have tremendous punch variety. In addition to footwork, in-and-out movement, head movement, fainting, you know, subtle little shifts and changes on offense and on defense. If you're a boxing fan, it's hard to watch better boxing than what we saw Saturday night. And... I'm going to let you get into your your uh, scorecard, or or I didn't actually score the fight, personally. I was just enjoying it as a fan. And despite the commentary, which I felt was a little bit biased, actually I should say more than a bit biased towards Chocolatito, I felt mm-hmm. it Estrada did pretty well. Um, I felt it was an even uh, back-and-forth contest. And I could have seen the fight going either way, to be honest. I'd have to go back and score it round by round. But I was a fan on Saturday night. This was not a fight where I wanted to be, you know, uh, scrutinizing everything and putting in a scorecard. I just wanted to sit back and watch really good boxing. And the 117 scorecard I felt was pretty outrageous. Um, you know, I also, by the way, yeah. the zone was really, really doing a bad job in the women's fight as well. I thought that McCaskill totally dominated that fight. But returning to the main event, I felt it could have gone uh, either way, really depending on what kind of style you were looking at. And I think it was kind of soured by the final scorecard turned in 
by by that one judge. And David, I know you want to discuss this a little bit, so I'm going to pass it over to you. You know, I mean, look, <clears throat> this was a fight that if you were more worried about scoring it as a fan, uh, as a viewer, you were missing a lot. You know, and I because everything you just mentioned, I completely agree. Look, phone booth style is one of the most difficult styles to to do and to be successful and to make it look, you know, so so easy and 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 you know, being able to actually put a variety of different punches in a phone booth, that's so hard to do. And these these guys did it effort, you know, with, without effort, you know. Um, I I agree with you. I think that Estrada should have been given more credit because there were very close rounds to score. You know, um, at the end of the day, I, I had it 115, 113 for, uh, uh, for, for Gonzalez, for Chacalatito, but I wouldn't argue with anybody if they said, look, I had Estrada, because if you look at some of these swing rounds, it's very easy to go, Estrada took it. That's how close this fight was. You know, whereas even as well as their first fight, um, even one of the other judges had it at a really outrageous uh, score for 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 Gonzalez. You know, and and I think it was almost similar to what we saw with the one seventeen one eleven, right? Yeah. You know, but, a yeah. draw, even a draw, I would have been perfectly, perfectly, perfectly fine because you know what? At the end of the day, though, I, I would have to say the ones who made out as a win, win was the fans. I agree. And I'm going to probably be divergent and people could call me crazy if they don't agree with what I'm saying. But as a boxing fan, I've kind of always looked at split decisions as draws anyways. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, officially, they're not recorded as draws. Obviously, they're recorded as wins and losses. But when you win, a, when you win on one of the scorecards and lose on another scorecard, I mean... It's as close to a draw as you can get. We've got a actual call coming in right now. If you could just hold on, caller, uh, and just hold on just for a sec. I should have actually had the phone lines muted, but I'll bring you in 5110 in a second. Um, yeah, so Leslie, all I wanted to say on that was Estrada was doing very subtle things on defense in terms of slipping and rolling shots on the inside in that phone booth style, um, David. Chocolatito was throwing... Uh, and they kept mentioning this in the broadcast, but kind of short shots, compact shots. But Estrada was also slipping and moving a lot of those shots, too, on the inside. So, Eric well, you know, versus that, what Estrada was doing, you also have to take into account, which, you know, the commentators and, and the, even the judges probably, their eye wasn't keen to seeing that Chocolatito was catching a lot of Estrada shots by Perry, you know, that, he had his hands up high, even the body shots, his elbows caught a lot of a strong body, uh, body shots. I'm getting excited just thinking about that because, and the funny thing is, I saw Sor Vasai do it as well on, on Friday, although it was a much right. lower level competition, but catching everything and then throwing right back. But right. Uh, area code 510, you're live, bro. Who Who is this? Hey, I'm Mel Carr. Hey, Dave, Fernando over here in Richmond. How you guys doing? Fernando. Fernando. What's up, brother? Hey, um, first of all, it was a great fight Saturday. I, you know, like everybody else, I completely enjoyed it. Um, I thought Chakitito won by maybe a round or two. It was a close fight. Um, the only issue I have is with everybody complaining about the cards, man. Uh, a scorecard is not a scoreboard. It's not like ball sports, man. It's right. not 
in football, like in boxing with football, right? Every time somebody didn't score a touchdown, they would get a touchdown to their team, right? That's how boxing is. Yep. You have to get around to somebody. You have to get around to somebody, right? So even a close fight, like the one we saw on Saturday, that could have been scored 12 rounds to nothing and still been a close fight. So, I mean, the difference between 117 and 111 is two rounds. I mean, yeah, for me personally, every single is a toss-up, man. Yeah. The only thing, Fernando, is this. Here, listen. The 117-111 is a lazy person scoring it, meaning they didn't even bother watching it or they didn't even care to even put an opinion behind it. I think that's the problem with boxing uh, is that a lot of us fans, we pick and choose when it's an outrageous score and when it's not. This was an actually a good thing when you see the WBA suspend a judge because they want to look into how, did you, how, how could you, how was your scoring so different from other, from the two other guys that had it 115, 113 for either one, for either guy, you know? So I, I don't think it's a bad thing. But I don't. I I agree with you when I when I when I, when I hear people call it a robbery. I would say ah, it's not such a robbery because it was such a close close fight. I'm just saying the 117 111 is not impossible because every round was a toss up, man. Every round was close, and depending on your taste, right? Like I thought Chocolatito landed more punches and the cleaner punches, but I thought Estrada landed the heavier punches, right? So. I didn't score the fight, right? I just had like, but every round was like, it's a toss up, man. So that judge is only maybe a couple rounds away from being 115, 113. That's not impossible for that fight, you know? Yeah. I, I would rather have, I would rather have those wide cards than have a judge trying to steer the cards to keep himself from getting in trouble, right? Like, like, like trying to narrate the cards into a tighter card, man. It, it was their honest opinion of every round, you know? Individual. You, you might, you might be right, but I think this is a great start. For an organization in, in Alphabet to actually take the initiative to suspend a judge, I think it's a great start. You know, whether you agree with the, uh, with that scoring or not, and, and I mean, you seem like you're perfectly fine with that. I'd say, look, we got to start somewhere. And if they're taking the initiative and they're stepping up of questioning a judge, it, to me, it puts everybody else on alert now, and it also puts – Everybody else, uh, you know, every other outfit alphabet to start following suit, which I think is a good thing in the sport. You know what I think, though? Um, I think that the running to a suspension might have been a little bit too quick. What I well, he's not completely suspended, though, Milkar. Like, they're just suspending him for the investigation to, like, figure it out. I don't think they're suspending him completely until they figure out where they're going to go with it or how they're going to justify the 117 like 111, but I think it's a good way of going about it. Investigate him, that's fine, but I mean, it's it's like you give him an opportunity to defend his scorecard. Um, because right. maybe Nando's right, maybe he could defend his scorecard. I remember I did a a, a referee course and a judging course at the, I believe it was at the Mahegan Sun. I was there with like Harvey Doc and um, a whole lot of like referees and judges. Um, and what they made us do was they made us rewatch the Pacquiao horn fight. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, like using the criteria that they had given, a lot of the people scored that fight for horn, if you can believe it. So it just shows you that depending on what you're looking at, right, and how you justify a fight or scoring it, it can go multiple ways. I remember one thing that they told us there was that you start watching the round, 
right? And at a certain point, someone starts to win that round. And that guy's winning that round until the other guy flips the script and he wins the round. And then, okay, now he's winning the round. Does the other guy come back and win it? If not, okay, the second guy won the round. Like, that's how they want you to judge a fight. Um, it can mm. get it can get tough, like you said, David, in a score sorry, in a in a scoring situation where it's a phone booth fight, right? And you got guys who are approaching that phone booth fight doing very subtle but different things. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's it's tricky. It's especially the, the the view that that they have the judges. I mean, here's the thing: they're not actually at the apron can the, the canvas of the of the ring okay they're they're a couple of feet back sometimes okay and now even with the whole covid thing they're a little further back if you watch the the tape you can see they're a little further back but two they're also they're like even though they have probably some folks would say it's the best seat in the house um what we're seeing on 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 television is actually we're getting much more of a bird eye view at a more magnitude where them, they're kind of like looking and sometimes the ref gets in the way, the ropes get in the way. So it does blind them to see certain things. And that's why I've always said, I've always thought that judges should be in a room, separate room away from the crowd uh, yeah. where they're also able to see with cameras, the different angles. And it will have a better chance of judging these rounds because being there live sometimes uh, I hate to say it, you don't, you're not getting the best eye view of what's happening in the action in front of you. I'm not even joking right now, David, but do you think you would be affected if you were wearing a face mask and a face shield and scoring a fight? I don't, I mean, like I said, they're live. I think it's a tough job. It's just like being a ref. We, we are, look, we're easy to criticize and we can point out, but in, in, the, in actuality, <laughs> That's why not everybody gets the job. Not everybody can do it. You know what? If they put this shit on Zoom, I would fucking watch it. His little, the little investigation and where they bring him in and have him defend his scorecard. Put that shit on Zoom. I, I, would, I know. You know what? I was going to tweet that to the WBA. And let us hear what this motherfucker has to say about his card. I, yeah, because I, because right like now, you watch that shit. Right. Because just like you, I would like to hear what was going through his head when he was scoring this round because like like look like fernando just said right now um a lot of these rounds were close it could be very easy this guy goes hey i like what he did the last 10 seconds that stole the round for me right you know so that's that's what i think we learned from so but again i'm not i think this is a great move not not for carlos the the judge but I think it's a great start for the sport to start suspending judges if the if the if the scoring is questionable. And I think this is a questionable scoring. It's not an outrageous one, but it is questionable. And I think we need to start somewhere, you know. And it puts everybody else on 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 blast as well. Just now realize, like, hey, I can get suspended and and get pulled into a room on Zoom where a mill car and. And, and rough and the whole world can see me and I have to sit there and try to justify why I scored this fight, why not? Yeah, I mean, put put the, the fight on Zoom, right? Put a little box up there, just like our box is on the screen right now. We get to see him sweat it out and explain why he scored it a certain way. Nando, uh, did you see the McCaskill break his fight? Yeah, that was just a sloppy fight, man. Like, what were your thoughts? I'm up from 80 fighting. 
I'm all for ladies fighting, but I just thought it was a floppy fight, man. I wasn't, I really wasn't impressed with either one. Uh, McCaskill reminds me a little bit of Jermaine Taylor, really athletic, uh, gifted, but sloppy. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I wasn't impressed, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't impressed with either one of the ladies, you know. I, I respect their heart. You know, they actually, you know, they gave it their all, but the actual boxing itself was, wasn't very, very good itself, you know. Number, not very exciting. David, your thoughts? You know what? I mean, look, one of my biggest pet peeves is if you're be if I'm being told that a fighter is super skillful, okay, that has all the tools of being a masterful fighter, and I see you continuously fall into your punches and and try to put your weight over somebody's neck when you could have the possibility of a fighter that likes to lead in with their head and it's actually McCaskill, she always looks down to the canvas when she throws her overhand right. So so Regis should have seen that and should have been able to take a, a, a step and a half back and counter. You know, if you watch Juanma Marquez, Juanma Marquez was phenomenal for doing that. He knew how to take a step back and counter you if you were going to bum rush him. So I don't understand why, you know, Late in the career, she's having Abel Sanchez, who Abel Sanchez is not a trainer to train people how to counter. He's a trainer how to teach you how to pressure. And and I don't know if that that's what they were, you know, training for and gearing up for, but it didn't work. No, I, I agree with everything that's being said. Number one, I think, and this is unfortunate because they don't do it in tennis. They don't do it in track and field. It seems so like in boxing, they want to lower the standards of skill level. Uh, it wasn't a very skillful fight at all. It was entertaining. But if two men were fighting like that, we would be saying exactly what Nando was saying. This is a sloppy fight. It's an ugly fight. Uh, Nando, I agree 100%. The other thing that I walked away from, too, after watching that fight is these two-minute rounds. Like, yo, you really got to go to, to three-minute rounds You've got to go to 12 rounds. Right. I, I'm sorry. you got to use more skill when you're boxing over three minutes than over two minutes. You can kind of just bum rush and throw haymakers and just be aggressive for two minutes. You cannot do that in a three-minute round, especially over 12 rounds. And lastly, well, David, let me, let me, like, let me skill level, half step back, bro. Half step back. You got to exactly. You got to do that. You know, you know. Here's the thing with too with women's boxing, okay? And just like Fernando, I like watching the women fight. Um, Lou DeBella has got a card happening uh, next month, which all women on the Broadway boxing. Uh, uh, Karina Moreno, who's a should be an easy inductee to Hall of Fame. She's out of Salinas, California. I've watched her whole career. She's she's a fun fighter to watch. She's gonna be on that card. But, you know, the thing with the female boxing is that, um, and I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for just saying this, but I think, honestly, the females shouldn't even worry about titles. I think what they need to do is match themselves with the right other style to make explosive fights, okay? Because Pursun and, and, and Jessica uh, McCaskill would make a phenomenal, phenomenal fight if they were to step in, but I know that would stop what would stop that fight from happening would be titles. Okay, where titles is more crucial for the men's uh, uh, men category than in all honesty, 
The women need to build themselves up. They need to build their brand. And I think if they just do without the titles, which is unrealistic, I know that, okay? I'm not crazy, but if you do away the titles for women boxing just for a brief moment and you and you set up the best matches, I will guarantee you, you will probably get more men to gravitate o- over to you to want to watch you fight. Whereas you get other fights that like Kalisha Shields who fought on a pay-per-view, I watched a few rounds of it and I got to tell you, I tuned out. I was like, I tuned out of it, you know, but I'll tell you what, Pursuit and and Jessica who just fought this Saturday, I would watch that in a heartbeat. If if that that was the only headline fight that I'd watch that fight in a heartbeat because you know that it'd be explosive. 100%. 100%. Nando, I'm going to let you go so we can get another caller in. Okay, bro? I think he's already gone. So I, w- I agree with you 100%, Dave. Uh, the problem is that we're now in a four-belt era, and you've literally got divisions with like a dozen people in them where four belts are up for grabs. It's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of insane. Um, and I don't know if you can necessarily walk that back uh, right now, but... You know, I'd, I'd love uh, for that to happen. I think women's boxing really has to start at the ground floor instead of trying to catch men's boxing at the floor that men's boxing is at, which has obviously uh, been around for a really long time. We've got a, another caller right now, area code 207 from Maine. You, you're live with Leaving in the Ring. 207 yeah, for me. Yeah. How's it yeah, going, bro? Your phone was still ringing there. I'm on a little delay. Do you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Rest, rest in peace. This is Mad Chad. Someone called me out. They said I might be a slugger, Sam, or something. But this is this is Mad Chad from uh, Portland, Maine. Uh, still, still a little busted up from the past and a marvelous Marvin Hagler. Uh, you know, we're one of the greatest fighters that ever lived. March 13th will forever be lived. You know, no one will ever forget the date. Uh, we saw one of the greatest fights with Chocolito and Estrada last night. I mean, what a display of the sweet science. Uh, both fighters, they ebb and flowed. They both uh, showed beautiful technical skills that is just so world-class. Uh, it's too bad that there was a, you know, a judge there that was way out of line. I mean, it, it reflected back to the Hagel-Lennon card where it was close, you know, and I scored it eight to four the Chocolito. I watched it again and had it seven five the Chocolito. Uh but 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 what a beautiful, beautiful fight. Uh I thought it was such a great fight to see. And then, then I switched over to the David Benavidez thing. I wanted to see him uh fight the kid Ellis from uh you know up up the road from me and uh you know Ellis is a tough kid. He's never been down. And and Benavidez is like just a freak at one sixty eight. He's so long. And his hand speed, you know, at all the different, I mean, it's just blazing. And he has pop. Uh, he impressed me. I think he's the number one threat to, uh, to uh, Chalo, uh, to, 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 to Canelo. Uh, also, we have an undisputed chance, possibly with this Jerry Joshua. That, that's unbelievable. Ramirez, Taylor, undisputed. You know, right. the, the boxing, boxing game's heading in the right direction. And, and once again, rest in peace to Marvelous Marvin Hagler. And thanks, guys. What a great show. Have a great night. Can you stay on? Mad Chad just disconnect. I was going to ask Mad Chad if he could stay on for a bit just to talk about the impact of Hagler on New England boxing. But why don't you take it from where he left off, Dave, with uh, 
the Benavides fight and give your thoughts on that. Well, you know, first with, you know, Matt, thanks for calling in, brother, and even bring that up because, you know, it, this is the thing about boxing. No matter, no matter where you, where, you know, where you're from, what color you are, nationality, creed, race, religion, there's always a fighter that can make such an impact. And, and, and Marvis is just one of those guys, man. Um, he made such an impact in so many folks, you know, because it, like I said, when I got the news, uh, I, I text my friend Strikeheart, who was also a big, big Hagler fan, you know, and he was with me when we con conducted that interview. And he was like, like he, he didn't even have, he just put rest in peace. That's all he could even dish out at that moment, you know? And uh, talked to another good friend of mine who was a Hagler, like big Hagler fanatic. And same thing, man, just couldn't even put the words together to like say, you know, wow. And uh, I was speaking to my wife and I was like, I'm lost to words. Like, I, you know, you just never think that one of your heroes is just going to go and gone. I mean, Hagler was like, you know, a superhero for us, man, for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, Superman's not supposed to die. And especially, not, not, yeah. especially not at such a young age. We've got D-Style right. on the line, uh, Dave. D-Style, you here with us? What's going on? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Great to hear from you, bro. How's it going? Yeah, I'm doing really, really good. Um, listening in. I wanted to say something about the, the scoring and, and all this. Um, the, the problem with, with scoring, right, and I think what a lot of fans miss is there's like this innate like kind of assumption that if a fight is close or could go either way, that, that everyone has to have it either a draw or 7-5, and that's just not the case at all, Right. Like, look at, like, every round is basically its own fight, and you score it, right? Regardless, if one guy, if you think one guy barely wanted, hey, that's 10, and the other guy is 9, outside of knockdowns. That's the way it's scored. If you watch the NBA Finals, and the Lakers barely win last minute every game, but they sweep the other team 4-0, to zero, then the series was 4-0, it doesn't mean the games weren't close. It doesn't mean the games couldn't have gone either way, but at the last minute, the Lakers just happened to win. And you could have other series where each team dominated and, and destroyed the other team, right? Three games each, and then game seven was close. You know, like, it's just, it's just a different kind of dynamic there. Like, and I think that's what happens with fights sometimes. It's totally possible to have a very close fight with a lot of swing rounds and somebody scores at 8-4 or 9-3. There's no rule that says, well, you know, you got to give that other dude, you know, that swing round because you gave the other swing round to the other guy. Like, I think we overcomplicate things, you know, and I think we, we, we overreact to cards. This is why we have three judges at the end of the day, right? Because not everyone's going to see it the same. Like, there was another set of three dudes. Maybe one of them has it wide for Chocolatito. And maybe, maybe not, we have a controversy with that, right? We do not know how close the judge felt a lot of those rounds were. Just because he gave them to Estrada 
you know, maybe what Estrada was doing is something that the judge really liked, and he could, and and when he was scoring it, he felt he's just edging it out, round after round. We should not be pressing judges to, you know, what you gotta have this, you know, you know, seven five because it's close, but that's not the way it works, unfortunately. Now, me personally, and I want to give a shout out to Joe B because he had this idea, and I think it's a brilliant idea. Okay. I think we should continue the 10-point must system, but for rounds that are extremely razor close, that you know are swing rounds, we should introduce a 9.5 for the loser and 10 for the winner of that round. Ooh, that's a that great idea. Or the other guy, because they, not every 9 is equal and not every 10 is equal. So I just wanted to say that. And by the way, shout out to the, the, the marvelous one I... I couldn't believe it, man. Um, I had just posted the painting we're going to be giving away. It's a, it's a poster, not the actual painting, but but, but a poster of the painting of uh, Pat Killian, who he's going to be giving away this poster that includes the four kings. One of them, of course, you know, you, you got Hearns, you got you got Duran, you know, Leonard, and of course Hagler's on there as well. I post that, and then the next thing I know, I'm looking at Twitter and, and I'm seeing. R.I.P. Hagler. My first reaction is people would better not be playing games with this, and then it ends up being true, and that that, that was shocking, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, what sixty four years old? I believe he still had another twenty years in him. I felt anyway. Absolutely. But it, life is precious. You never know when it's over, man. So it, it's just the way it is. Well, Diesel, I agree with everything you said uh, from the the last thing you said about Hagler being way too young, obviously, to uh, what you said about the 9.5 scoring. That's actually an awesome idea. Uh, before you go, though, can you give us your thoughts on Benavides's performance uh, on Saturday night on Showtime? I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I, I've only watched highlights of the fight. Okay, so I haven't. I did have not. I am gonna watch it, but that's the whole fight. That's the whole fight. <laughs> that's the whole fight, though. D. <laughs> it's highlight. It's like the same round over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, he looks like Benavides to me. I know people are saying, "Oh, you don't look good," and you know, oh, good. working. Just keep going. You know what I mean? It's it's. There's no rule that says you got to knock a dude out in the fourth round just because. You know, you're that much he's better. He's never than been him. like that, though. That's just the crazy part. When I'm seeing that, he's never been like. There's been this like image of him being this blowout knockout king. He he really hasn't. He's been a volume puncher who outworks you, and 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 your stamina just slowly goes away because of his of his output of work and stuff. You know, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't I don't know why people are expecting. Give him to knock out every guy that comes in front of him. Absolutely. All right. Any last thoughts, D Style? Well, uh, last thoughts. Uh, hey, man. Um, the women's fight. I couldn't believe, like, after a whole training camp, you know, it, you don't see that overhand right coming. Right? Like, I'm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like breakers, like, well, what, how, what do you mean you don't see that coming? It's not. This is not three dimensional chess here. I mean, this is pretty basic stuff. But it comes down to this. You know, I think it's a, it's it's a, a lot of things. A lot of things. One, I think McCaskill does bring a physicality to the ring 
that you're able to do because there's only two minutes and there's only 10 rounds. So she could really get really physical in there and, and put on a lot of pressure and exert a lot of energy that I just don't think she looked, she looked gassed after like seven rounds. I do wonder if she could go 12, you know, at that pace, but she's fighting the right type of fight for the right type of amount of time and rounds. But I'm just surprised that after already fighting her, she wasn't able to make a, a to what to me appears, at least what should be at the high level championship level of boxing that I expect. It didn't seem like she made any proper adjustments. It looked like the first fight. If anything, McCaskill looked a little, did a little better this time than the first time. So I, I'm real disappointed. And I think it's, the factors are she just didn't prepare for it. She's getting a little up there in age. And, you know, I guess we have to question the level of competition she boxed over the course of her career. You know, we just got We have to question that. So hmm. that's all. All right. Thank you, D-Style. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll continue it on here. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep the conversation flowing, my brother. You have a good evening. You know, the whole Cecilia break as uh, first lady about her not being prepared or even like like right now, I even said, like, how could you not see that overhand and walk, keep walking into it? You know what I saw from her, Amokar? Yeah. Um, I saw a woman that is now up in age who is doing something that happens to a lot of fighters that get there, get up in age, which is they start overthinking what they want to do. And they start overanalyzing what's in front of them rather than just reacting to it. I saw a lot of that from her. Um, and then very surprising that she even said that, wanted to, that she wants to continue on with her boxing career. Well, I think there's already some evidence that, again, if you're being labeled, and I can't go off of her, her whole career because I've never really watched her whole career. But what I've been told and what people have kind of advertised about her is this masterful fighter. This is why you should watch her, Dave. Um, if she was unable to figure out McCaskill, who's not masterful at all, who's pretty predictable, you kind of were able to see what she had planned every time she stepped forward. Um, that should have been a very easy Lego puzzle to put together. Bro, I'm going to just say this. If you are the high-level level boxer that Cecilia Brakis is supposed to be, that is the tailor-made style for you. It's Absolutely. Got, that's like you couldn't ask for anything more tailor-made. It's got – I don't know if it's lack of competition. I don't know if it's her age. I mean, she's older than me, and I feel old every time I get out of bed in the morning. So I, I can only imagine what it must be to fight like that, but maybe it's a co combination of a, of a bunch of things, but we got a call on the line and I know who it is. It's my man, G funk Stradamus G funky. What's going on, bro? What's going on guys. How you guys doing today? Good. good how you doing? I'm good, man. I just want to call in and talk about a few topics here, man. You guys got a good thing going right here. So I figured I'd throw my two cents in. Um, first thing I want to talk about is uh, Marvin Hagler. Um, you know, I'm working on a video right now, uh, to talk about him on my channel, but I just want to say this real quick about a guy like Marvin Hagler. And, um, I think Dave, you could, you could kind of relate to this being a Chicano from Califas like me, man. Um, you know, we loved Hagler, man. Uh, yes, we I never met, 
Yeah, I don't think I've ever met one Chicano at a fight party, and I've been to, I can't even remember, I mean, too many in my life. I, I don't think I've ever met one that said a bad thing or said that they didn't like Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Um, that dude was just like, man, the cream of the crop. Everybody loved him. Um, and it's unfortunate, man, that he had to pass away. Um, you know, and the thing that really kind of irritates me is how these anti-vax people are trying to tie it into some sort of thing with the vaccine that kill like this. This is just ridiculous, man. Like, I wish that people like this would just go away. That's, that's the one thing that I hate about the internet, people that do stuff like this, man. Um, you know, just wait, let's see what, what happened, uh, you know, and, uh, but I just want to say, man, Hagler was a legend. And, uh, like I said, I'm working on a video. So I just want to say rest in peace to Marvin Hagler. One of the greatest, uh, to ever do it. You know, you're absolutely right, bro. I hate people trying to put politics into their agenda of somebody's death or whatever it is. It's a scare tactic. And I always found it strange. I've said this numerous times on Leaving the Ring where the people that are conspiracy theorists, uh, they're always talking about, you know, the government's scaring you to do this, the government, but it's really them. They're afraid of something. But they want you to they want you to believe that it's not them that's so scared, you know? <laughs> I've always found it weird. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um I want to talk about the, the, the female fight on the zone card. Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of figured this would happen uh, again. To me, Cecilia Baracus, she just looked to me the fight before the first fight. She looked like a fighter that was, you know, on her way out. She just did look the same to me, which is why I, one of the main reasons why I picked McCaskill to beat her the first time. Uh, people call me crazy for that, but she made me look like a genius. Victor, um, <laughs> this time it was worse, man. I thought she was going to knock her out early the, the way that she was catching her with those overhand rights. I mean, she just could not miss with that punch. But uh, credit to, to the first lady. She was able to take a lot of those big shots from her, uh, go the distance. And you know what? She really, really tried uh, at the end to knock her out, especially after they took that point away, which I don't think they should have. But um, you can see here she was trying to close it out and trying to, you know, trying to win that fight, but she just couldn't do it. Um, you know, she had a great career, and there's no shame in hanging it up at this point. Um, she'll definitely Absolutely. go to the Hall of Fame, you know. Uh, so shout out to her, Emma Caskill. That was a good good co-main event. Um, but as far as the main event goes, um, I agree with, with you guys and a lot of people in the chat. And I think that a lot of sensible boxing fans can say that that fight was so close. There were so many swing rounds that nobody pulled away. It was not a blowout on either side. That 117-111 scorecard, and yeah, I don't agree with it. Um, but I think people are really just overdoing it when it comes to that card. Um, you know, the hardcores who were really into this fight, and this was a hardcore fans fight. I know they all went back and watched that first fight going into this one. Oh, yeah. Can't nobody tell me this. Can't nobody tell me that that fight wasn't as razor thin as the rematch. Right. Yeah, Bro, razor had, thin. Yeah, and yet we had in that, in that fight, we had two judges with a 116-112, and one judge gave 10 rounds to Chocolatito in that first fight. Right. And nobody shit. Yeah. Nobody bitched and moaned about that, but when Chocolatito gets a bad scorecard, it's, oh, we got to do this and that. And look, I'm glad they suspended that guy, but let's be consistent with this, man. How many times have we seen this happen? 
Well, fighters that aren't as famous as the Chocolatito, right? And they don't get suspended for it. You know they, what I'm saying? Like, well, you got, just answered your own question, though, brother, because 11 years ago, a lot of fans didn't even know of Chocolatito and Estrada. You know, uh, they, these guys are finally getting their dues for the work they've put in. You know, that's why. Well, first of all, I've seen worse scorecards. There's no right. doubt about that. And I've seen worse scorecards mm -hmm. where motherfuckers didn't get suspended. So they were they they're making this guy out to be the worst judge in the world he still gave three rounds to chocolatito but i'm not saying i agree with the card but give him a chance to to justify it uh but right. yeah be funky yeah. it's true because the same thing happened when rungvasai beat chocolatito the first time oh how could you do that oh how did people were 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 unwilling to see a scenario in which Rungvasai could have beaten Chocolatito, and that was a fight that I was at. And in the rematch, obviously, Ch uh, Rungvasai didn't let it go to the scorecards. But um, where did he leave it? In, in the ring. ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, it's, Nando said it earlier. You know, it's two rounds off from being a scorecard that everyone sees as being totally acceptable. Right. Maybe even one round off. Um, you know what? You know what else would be totally acceptable? Yeah. If I could be just, just honest with you, like I always am. Of course, bro. What if that card? What if? What if there was a one seventeen, one eleven card for Chocolatito? I think everybody. I think everybody, everybody would have been fine with it. Yes, exactly. But because they went to Estrada, everybody wants to bitch and moan about it. Like I think these people are just too emotionally attached to fighters, especially a guy like Chocolatito, who's a really great guy outside of the ring. You know. Um, his post-fight uh, interview, you know, a lot of people loved it. I mean, I thought it was good, too. It gave a lot of glory to God. You know, it was great. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, him being a great guy and him being a believer in God, like, that doesn't that doesn't mean you just automatically give him the fight. I agree. You know, this fight could have went either way, man. Like, I don't have an issue if people think Chocolatito won the fight. Well, the other thing is we're bringing up glory to God, and that's great and everything, but then you're also opening up to people bringing up the fact that you beat the hell out of your wife and, like, she had to call the police and everything. So, you know, you can't have, <laughs> you can't have it both ways. I mean, look it up. It doesn't get a lot of attention in the English mm -hmm. press, but if you look it up in Spanish, I mean, it's all over the Nicaraguan media. So, um, this, this, this... Oh, I've known about that. Yeah, I have friends, like I said, very close friends of mine. Their family... Uh, all from Nicaragua. They tell me about all this type of stuff. Uh, they told me a lot of things about Alexis Arguello's death that you don't get uh, talked that don't get talked about here in the United States. But um, the one last thing I want to say before I go is that um, you know, again, either way, I don't mind. I'm not going to argue with anybody because it was that close of a fight, you know. And I think the, the the term robbery gets thrown around too much. Like this was not a robbery, man, because the fight was just close. Could have went either way, you know. And uh, the only ones that could say they were robbed could be the Chacletito team, which I haven't heard from them. I, I actually spoke to uh, uh, Marcos, his trainer. He was disappointed, hurt, because, they, you know, the time and effort they put in and they knew it was a really close fight, but not even the word robbery came out of their mouth. They just said, like, hey, just wasn't our night. We didn't get it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, I mean, I, I, like I said, man, I think any sensible, knowledgeable boxing fan could see that the fight 
could have went either way, man. Just like the first fight. And guess what? We're going to get it again, man. So we're going to get another treat. So let's just be happy and let's stop bitching and moaning. All right. It was a great fight. Uh, Benavidez, uh, real quickly, Benavidez looked like you said, Dave, looked like Benavidez to me. I know there was a lot of people out there saying that he wasn't looking too great early on, but I honestly, I felt he looked sharp from round one on. And, um, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with him, man. I hope they give him plant next. I don't think Charles got enough werewolves to step in the ring. Um, but we'll see. But I have plant, and I don't have no faith in plant either because that guy has been fighting literally nobody his whole career. So, um, We'll see what happens from there, man. But, hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. Great show, and uh, I'll be in the chat listening, man. Of course. Uh, Thanks so much, bro. Appreciate the call. So, uh, Dave, I'm going to get right from where G-Funky left off, and I'm going to say that that is the fight that I want to see next. I want to see Plant Benavides. I don't think that either of them really has done much to earn a shot yet at Canelo, if Mm -hmm. anything. Benavidez has it just that he lost his titles obviously outside of the ring I now am confident in Benavidez being a 168 pounder I'm gonna be honest with you before this fight I needed to see him make weight to consider a legit 168 pounder he's done that all credit to him now it's time from the get back into title contention the only reason Caleb Plant is even being discussed in terms of Canelo is because he's got that IBF belt which, if you look into it, I mean, come on now. What has he really done, right? Um, I'd like to see him face off against Benavides. I don't see any reason why that should not happen because guess what? Canelo's about to fight uh, Billy Joe Saunders. So why shouldn't they have to fight each other and then the winners face off? I think that's a fair proposition. And... Uh, the only thing I'm going to disagree with G-Funky on is that I don't really want to see Charlo. Charlo, beating Charlo doesn't establish anything. All you're doing by beating Charlo is beating a guy that was at 154 and is now at 160. Beat Caleb Plant. Beat him and like I know he, Benavides can beat him and then make a mega fight in September against Canelo. What do you think, Dave? No, I agree with you. I mean, look, the problem with our sport nowadays is that guys tend to want to jump up without even accomplishing anything in their division and get these big money fights. You're seeing this trend a lot. Mikey Garcia's doing has started doing it, you know, jumping up. Uh, it was, you know, we, we applauded because it was bravery going after Errol Spence. But at some level, we got to go back to reality, meaning that these fighters got to have accomplishments. You know, it makes the fight even bigger. If you have to put an X amount of time in media and and print to convince me it's a good fight, then it's probably not a good fight. But if if I if I'm able to witness your accomplishments where it matters in the ring, and then you make the leap then I know it's going to be a good fight because now there's something really heavy on the line. We know we're we're having an intimate relationship with this fighter. We know about this fighter. We know what their ups and their downs and their weaknesses and their strengths. A lot of the times now when it comes to fights, tell me this, we really don't know a whole lot about certain fighters because we keep hoping they're going to step up to face somebody of worth to answer a lot of these questions that linger around them. I don't like that, okay? Now, yeah, it's called the eye test era. It's like everything now is about the eye test. I always hear that term mean 
being used. I test this. I test that. Yeah, I mean, look. Boxing fans are notorious. They love the eye test, you know. And this has been around for years. I mean, ever since I started YouTube, YouTube, it's always been like, oh, I don't want to see him fight that guy because he'll beat him too easy. Oh, I don't want to see him do that because it's just like, look, this is why we have the fights. This is why things are lined up, you know. Stop being the cock blocker already. Let these guys do what they're supposed to do. Marvelous Marvin Hagler did this okay he he didn't he was never in a position to go ah screw that guy let me fight this guy you know uh uh you know oh, i want this x amount of money or this and that he had to fight the fights to get the recognition and this respect that he demanded plant when i hear him and when, you know even when he came on leaving the ring and he spoke to 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 us here no car and I hear him another like he's already demanding something that has not yet been earned. You know, it's like the word I keep saying, deserve doesn't belong in boxing. He he truly believes he deserves the respect of fight fans. You know, that he deserves to be put in the same breath as other great 168 contenders. No, you haven't earned it yet. You know, and by getting in with David Benavides. And, 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 you know, that is to me is a good step up to tell us where exactly you're at. To also even to even uh, 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 to even say that Canelo and Platt is a worthy fight to tune in is a fight that we should salivate for. Because at this moment, I got to tell you, Saunders, you know, uh, uh, Plant and, and, and who's the other guy now? See, I mean, that tells you. Not, 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 not Benavides, you know, but I'm saying like, you know, you know, you got Saunders, Canelo's facing, then after Saunders, Saunders is, is shit. See what I mean? I'm, I'm in blank because. I mean, it's Lemire, it's Jacobs and that's about it. Yeah. It's just, to me, it's just like, there's nothing there to get my blood boiling. Okay. You know, when I look at, when I think of like Chocolatito and Estrada and the super flightweight division to the flightweight division, Ayoka, and you need these guys, these guys are getting me going. I'm like, holy shit, dude, dude. Rung, uh, 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 you know, rung aside, these are the names that you go like, okay, see, you know why? Because they put in the time, they put in the work. We, we know them. Absolutely. We know what they're about. We know that what they can create if they both step in and face each other. Where everybody else that Canelo's facing, we don't know shit. There's nothing to really go off of. There's no base to go off of what they've done because they're honestly, there's no consistency in 168. No, you're absolutely right. And again, Canelo's there. He's established himself at 168. I think he's clearly ahead of everybody else. And I want to see uh, Plant and Benavides. I think that Benavides wins that fight. That's just what I think right now. I think that his pressure is unrelenting. I don't think that Sweet right. has the power to keep Benavides off of him. And I think that steady pressure and the combination of the body attack um, and the volume punching and the power of those punches is going to eventually take its toll. But I think that if Benavides beats Plant, then that almost becomes a super fight in September. Whereas right now, like, Plant... Canelo, uh, like, I'll watch and it. Benavides, and Benavides beats Plant, you said? Yeah, I think as Benavides beats Plant, like, Benavides-Canelo is a huge fucking fight. I mean, as think 
if Plant just sits out the whole summer and waits for Canelo, I'm I'm not really that excited about that fight because I just see Canelo washing him. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I'm actually way more excited about Saunders than I am about about Plant. But um, I don't know. People might might be in a, might think might think I'm way off on this. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I look if I if 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 Plant in the PBC, which obviously the PBC is backing him a hundred percent. They're putting him on commercials. They're putting him on Fox. They're doing all this stuff for him. Okay, um, which is the right thing to do. You, you know, they're being a promoter, right? But if Plant wanted again, he want he wants respect at the end of his name, facing David Benavides and showing us that he can handle a big volume. Strong youth fighter like David Benavides and beat him convincingly. I, I'm on board. Yeah, like I'm walking into on the unknown of what can Plant really do because we don't know him. Yes, we've seen him fight, and that's not what I mean. Okay, you know, like oh, what about his record? You know, I'm talking about the oppositions because it's not been tested. Lomachenko, everybody was on the Lomachenko train. Remember that everybody was on that train, and I was. A guy that questioned people were calling me Lomachenko hater. They were like, "Why don't you like Lomachenko?" And I was like, "Look, the reason why I don't like a guy that plays with their food, especially when it's a B class fighter. If he's so explosive, he's so this and that, he should be able to get him out of there." When he got in with Lenars and he got dropped, and I showed and it showed what he was made of because he could have folded, could have fallen apart because it's been so easy for him. What did he do? He stepped it up. He showed us who he was. We were able to see in his in his soul. That's what I want to see of other fighters. What I want to see of Caleb Plant. That's what I want to see of David David Benavides. You know, I mean, obviously David Benavides wants these fights. It's just the other people don't want to play with them in the sandbox. You know, and you know that's why I'm at as a as a boxing fan. So a hardcore boxing fan. That's why I'm at at the 168 division at. Crawford and Spence. That's where I'm at with those guys. But when it comes to the flyweights, trust me, I'm on board all the way with them. Yeah, I'm on board too. And I'm very excited actually about the prospects of a rubber match between Estrada and Rungvisai. And I'm also excited about the prospect of Ioka getting in the mix there. And after the McWilliams-Arroyo fight, I mean, he seems to be able to fluctuate between both of those weight classes, uh, 112 and 115. He's a live dog. Joe Ajas is there. You also got Franco. You also got Maloney. I mean, I could go on and on about 115 pounds. 168 is hella weak. So for there to be a big fight in September, Mexican Independence Weekend, you know, when... The, the Mexicans kicked that Spanish ass and sent uh, the descendants of Cortez and all those other motherfuckers back to Spain, right? We're, we're celebrating that shit, right? In September, right? We're celebrating uh, the birth of an American country, taking it back, right? And kicking these European colonizers out of... Uh, I'm, getting, I'm, about, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. The fact is, that's supposed to be a big fucking celebration. Right. right? Let's commemorate that with a big fight, right? Right now, Plant Canelo's not a big fight. It just is not. And if you want to make that a big fight, you got to beat Benavides. And if you don't beat Benavides, guess what? Benavides Canelo is a big fight. And by the way, I don't think Benavides is much of a threat yet to Canelo, but I'll let you discuss that right now because 
You know, I just don't see Canelo struggling as much with that pressure square up style. I see him being way more elusive, uh, using those feints, getting Benavides thinking a hell of a lot more. Um, and the fact is that this dude, Ronald Ellis, was able to touch him up with the jab a lot more than I would have liked to see him get touched up. Not that he was struggling. I'm not going to say he was struggling. I'm not going to say it was a bad performance. He didn't struggle, and I thought it was a very good performance. The question is, what does it tell you about his prospects against Canelo? And to me, that's a different discussion. I did not see enough on 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 uh, Saturday to make me confident that this dude beats Canelo. All right? And that's yet another reason why a plant fight should be in discussion. Because right now, right. neither of these two dudes has done anything to show that they could beat Canelo. What are your thoughts, Dave? Look, like on Monday's show, I had stated that I like Ronald Ellis. I thought Ronald Ellis is a tough kid, but he was up against David Benavides. Okay? I think Ronald... Uh, take nothing away from him. I know fans were like, oh, who's this guy? Benavides did this. Get, put Ronald with any anybody else. He would have gave him a hell of a fight. And he was trying his best to give ben, David Benavides a hell of a fight. I go back again. We've only seen one face of David Benavides because not everybody wants to play with him in the sandbox, okay? Also, because the, the, the 168 is not that deep with this a large amount of talent. We got prospects that have potential, but it's not that deep. So you would not been able to see a whole lot of what David Benavides could do and what could he be. So I think it's still going into the unknown. And I think I think everybody's on board that Benavides by far would be the biggest threat to Canelo at 168. But would he be the better uh, the betting favorite? No, I think Canelo would still be the high uh, bet for anybody to put their money on, okay? Uh, um, you know, what I like about David, David Benavides, let me tell you what the things I like about what he does, okay? Even though he does get hit a lot, there's no head movement sometimes, but the confidence of this kid and how he flows, he lets his hands flow. Bro, I mean, it's like second nature for this kid. You can literally see in his face, the ring is his home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you take this kid out of that, that you know, four corners because when he does get out of that four corners, he gets in trouble. That place is a safe, is a safe zone for that kid. Okay? You know, uh, we, didn't, we didn't discuss this fight, Dave, because it happened uh, last week, obviously after our last show. But do you remember, I, I, I don't know, you weren't watching the fight live, I don't think, but the Brandon Lee fight last week. Um, right. It's like, Flipped the switch and he just decided to turn it on. And then he, once he decided to turn it on, it was essentially over. Now that fight ended in a brutal knockout. I thought that Brandon Lee got hit way more than I would have liked. Absolutely. But Benavides flipped the same switch on Saturday against Ronald Ellis. And when he flipped the script, it wasn't an issue of just knocking him out of there with one punch. It was started to become just a brutal beatdown where he was just throwing hooks to the body at will, uppercuts at will, right to the head at will, jabs that were like power jabs, followed by right hands. I mean, I'm watching this fight, and I'm like with the doctor. I'm like, bro, uh, you, we don't want you taking any more head trauma here because this is starting to look really, really bad. Um, 
And then obviously his his trainer, the South African dude, I forgot his name. I thought felt he was very good in the corner actually for um for Ronald Ellis and was quite compassionate in terms yes. of tell- you know, I thought he did quite a good job there. Um funny enough, his father was in the, the corner but was quite silent the whole time. Um it said always an interesting dynamic with the father's son. Um you obviously could could speak more to that than I can, but uh you well, know going off with, with Brandon. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because Brandon is actually a, a, a he's a he's a great example where I see like we talked about this on Monday, uh lead uh, uh leading up to that th- Thursday fight, uh what was it Wednesday fight that he had, okay? Um about being a prospect. It's okay to allow them to grow. Like there's there shouldn't be a rush. Let them progress, you know, because uh, you know the thing with Brandon is that I want to slowly see him answer questions. And I, right now, what I see of Brandon, like, there's no denying the kid's got some serious power, you know. But I want to see him, you know, little by little get faced with different things, adversaries, so we know a little bit more. Especially in that division, so stacked, you know. I mean, why rush him into that where then he has to figure it out on the job? Allow him to grow to get there, you know. The thing, the thing like, with David Benavides is we're only seeing one face of him. Okay, which is he's either going to go forward, but he's also a guy that's very comfortable on those ropes. But nobody's really had to force him to be a counterpuncher of defense, uh, you know, using that head or any of those other little things. We haven't yet seen anybody push him there because of the shallowness of that division, you know. And that's what I ask for from the fighters that I end up going like, okay, I like this guy. Okay, this is what I like because they're able to show me not just one gear, two or three gears, okay? And I'll give you a prime example. Danny Garcia, okay, even though a lot of folks don't like Danny, and he's leaving the 147, he's going to 154. But if you look at Danny Garcia's career, he started off as a cutie. And then when he needed to turn it on because he was going to lose this fight against a little car, what did he do? He turned it on. He became something that none of us knew he could do, which is be a puncher and a stalker. He did that. And that's what I mean. That's why fights need to be made. This is why sometimes it's okay to watch a guy progress. What happens is when you get a title, there's no more longer, there's no longer a progression. What that means, if you have a title, which that's what David Benavides them had, that means it's now time for you to face the best. Same thing with Caleb Plant. There is no more progression. We shouldn't see you fighting progressive fights. We should see you fighting the A-level fights already. That's what happens if you're listening to Leader Ring and you're, and I said this early, earlier today on, on the Hagler segment, learn from the old school guys. Learn the trade, okay? It's, it's, it's okay to learn how to, 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 to maneuver in your trade. You don't need to be an all-star immediately because when you do that, then their demands are there and you're going to have to live up to it. And there is no excuse of going like, well, shit, I never learned that to fight this style because of Cedric, Cedric, Cedric. It's okay to progress in this sport. Absolutely. And speaking of progression, I know we're going to get to the talk about Fury and and Joshua in a moment, but I did want to ask you about some news that came out. And I want to hear what people in the chat have to say about this as well. Um, This is more of the hardcore fans question here. But Danny Garcia at 154, he's moved up, David. Is this a good thing? <laughs> um, well, I mean, let's let's look at the division. Can we pull up the division anyway? 
so we can look at the the, the players at 154. I'll, I'll find it and I'll bring it up for you right now. Give me a moment. I mean, Jaime Morgia is no longer there, right? He moved up to 160. Um, in my head, we've got uh, Castaño, obviously, and we've got Charlo as the champions. Right. right? You got those two dudes, which I think that's my might be where he's headed to. You right. know, Bird. is is Charlo? You've got J Rock. You've got uh, Tim Zhu. Um, what happened to Jay? What happened to Hurd? <laughs> Anybody heard from him? Anybody heard from Jared Hurd? I don't know. That's that's. So yeah, right. I'm gonna up here. This is it right here, man. Um, here we go. We got Charlo, Charlo, Lara. All right, Charlo, Patrick Texera. That's old because he he was beat by Brian Castano. You've got Tim Zhu. Um, you've got Sebastian Fondora. Um, Tony Harrison. You've got Jay, uh, Jared Hurd, Julian J. Rock Williams. You've got uh, Israel Madrivov. Um, I haven't seen much of this guy, Bakram Mustazaliev. I, I got to look into him. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> Danny Garcia, is he going to be competitive at this weight class? Well, I don't think it's about being competitive. You know what I think it's the move is all about? What's that? <clears throat> He fought everybody at 147. I think he knows how hard it would be for these guys to give him a rematch. You know, and I think he knows that it's time to move on. We're, it's it's now a new territory, and he is a marketable name. I mean, he's a known name. Fight fans know of Danny Garcia. So I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, unfair to say he may be considered as a gatekeeper at 154 for a lot of these upcomers and these other guys that are trying to make a name because they're not fighting each other. Well, I got a name for him that he hasn't fought, and it's a name of a guy that needs an opponent, and that name is Ter- that name is Terrence Crawford. Oh. I, if I was him, I'd go after Terrence Crawford. Um, I don't see any of these fights here being a bigger money fight for him than Crawford. So, And I see them all being more difficult. I I... I just don't see his style being very effective against these bigger, stronger guys. I don't, I don't think the Garcia fight would even be feasible because of the amount of money Danny would be asking for. Is that something that Bob is willing to, to lean towards? I know that. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that would happen. And I think that's why I left him the only option he could do, which is move up. Whoa. Uh, Puerto Rican rum has another option. I'm putting it on the screen right now. It's Danny should go back to one. <laughs> I mean, I don't. If he can get down there, I, I would have to agree. I, I just, yeah. I just look at the guys at 154, man, and I just see a whole lot of monsters over here. Um, and like, like somebody said earlier, I think it was Andre. Like even Patrick Texera. Like I don't see him beating Patrick Texera. That dude was tough. You know, and he's yeah. he took a hell of a lot of punishment from Castano and was moving and using his jab the whole That'd night. That'd be a fun fight. That would be a really, really be fun fight. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just wanted to ask you that before we get into some of the biggest news of the day, David, which was obviously the news of these guys signing a two-fight deal, apparently, are you excited uh, more today than you were yesterday about the prospects of this heavyweight fight taking place this summer or two fights? I think, I think, yeah, I think because you know what, it's, uh, you know, the heavyweight division, honestly, it's been kind of like on a, on a hold. 
They both haven't fought since 2019. Um, I want to see this move on so that we could see what else is going to happen with the heavyweight division because we were in such a steamroll. Remember this. Back before the pandemic, things were moving. Heavyweights were fighting. There were really no ducking. Everybody was getting a chance at that belt. We need to have that start up again. And the only way is by getting these two guys in the room and have a unification fight and have an undisputed champion so that we can see it. The only thing is they're going to see it twice. I'm hoping it's all going to be, th be within a two-year span, though. You know, meaning that happens this year and maybe the fight happens again, the rematch, in the beginning of the new year of 2023. Yeah. Um I was excited about the fight, and as the day went on, I mean, more videos came up, and people were giving their opinions about things, and one of the opinions is that we shouldn't get as excited yet because they haven't uh, solidified a site. Site, right. Obviously very important, and this fight's not going to be taking place behind closed doors. It has to be taking place in front of a live gate for it to make the kind of financial sense that, you know, will make this promotion thrive. I'm just happy it's moving forward. Um, last week, I was on the Leaving in the Ring roundtable with D Style uh, and a bunch of other people, Joe Habib, Eric Lorta, and others. And people were like, oh, well, it's kind of fury imploding here. Like, is he going off the rails? And my view was that, look, A, he's probably just trying to push the needle and get this thing done, and B, trying to play mind games at the same time. I think Puri wants this fight. I think he's going to be up for this fight. And I'm glad that they've at least signed on to this fight because I want to see these two guys face each other twice in 2021. Um, I'm not one of these dudes that says, oh, well, the first fight's going to be for the undisputed and the second fight won't be for the undisputed because they're going to have to drop the WBO title and then either uh, Joe Joyce or Alexander Usyk. No, 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 no. Fuck that. That's a title, okay? Well, right. look, all four belts are on the line. The winner's undisputed. The winner could drop all of these belts, keep one of the belts. He's still undisputed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the thing, too, with this whole two-fight deal, and I see that some of the folks aren't liking that idea. Who's to say that the second fight even happens? It all really depends on who gets battered. I mean, they had a two-fight deal with Wilder. Look what happened. It all went to physical, Right. You know, so I want to get through the first fight. Then let's worry about the second fight. If that even even ends up happening, because one guy may get knocked out so brutal that they may not want to revisit it. We don't know. You know, uh, uh, if it's a great first fight and we get a, you know, and, and both guys are both standing in 12 rounds. Let's see it again. You know, but if one guy gets laid out early, mid and gets a beating, then you might not even see a second fight, right? You're, you're predicting that that Joshua's going to get laid out that bad that he won't want to rematch? <laughs> I'm not predicting any of that. I said if one of them, I don't know who. You I don't know who. Ladies and gentlemen, Dwayne <laughs> said that Anthony Joshua might be getting laid out so bad that he won't want the rematch. <laughs> That's my early prediction. <laughs> no, listen, oh. I, I have I have Fury winning this fight. I think his size, uh, I think his movement, I think, I mean, and when I say movement, I'm talking about his head movement, dog. 
I'm talking about the constant fainting, man. I love that. You know, His experience is just so far more superior to AJ. Oh my God, it, 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 honestly, there's no way of steering away from Tyson Fury not winning this fight. That's nah. That should be the smart choice. AJ right? AJ's gonna be flinching and moving off of those feints. He's gonna be looking real bad in that fight, bro. I'm telling you this. He right. could, he could, but you know what AJ does have on his side? He's got youth, and he's strong, and he's and he's got power. Okay, going in there, we may see a different AJ. I'm not saying that there's a possibility, but you know, I'm not saying that you know what I'm predicting. What I'm saying is that if, if that could happen, and again, that's why we go back to this is why we watch the fights, right? Uh, yeah. So are you now saying that we'll see a different version of AG, AJ than Huggy Bear? No more Huggy? No, I think AJ should be a Huggy Bear against uh, Tyson Fury. <laughs> it takes away his experience. Listen, I don't want to try to outbox a boxer. No. I want to out, I want to, I want to, I want to out hustle him. I want to make it ugly. I want to get in his head. I want to get his footwork off. I want him to forget about his jab because he's so concentrated on not being held by me that he makes the mistakes where I could slip in a couple of shots here and there and and I could sway the judges to give me the round. That's what I would want if I was AJ. So I would not go in the training camp thinking I need to outbox Tyson Fury. I need to outfootwork Tyson Fury. No, that to me is the, the worst strategy plan you could ever have for AJ. Yeah. I mean, to me, AJ's best punch uh, against Fury is probably going to be, well, I think it's one of his best punches, period, actually, is his uppercut. I just don't see it landing that well against Fury. I think Fury's not going to really be on the inside enough for that. And when he is on the inside, what Fury does very well is that he smothers his opponent's work. People often talk about the Otto Wallin fight. But what they never mentioned to you is how many rounds they thought Otto Valin won. Because I don't think Otto Valin won any many rounds at all, to be right. honest with you. He cut him up, yes. But other than that, what did Otto Valin really do? Because well, that's what people were scoring was the blood. That's it. Because they were scoring what he was doing. They were scoring the blood of what happened with Tyson Fury's face. Right? Absolutely. So because once he realized that he needed to protect that face... He went from being a distance fighter, which he's very good at, to being an inside fighter that was smothering everything that Otto Valin wanted to do. So that's the problem AJ's going to face. I don't think he wins the outside game, and I don't think he wins the inside game either um, because he's been getting away with the jab-jab, huggy-huggy-huggy tactics against smaller guys like Takam and Parker and Pula. I don't see that happening here. We've got uh, D-Style right back here with us. D-Style, you're back on Leave It in the Ring, brother. Thank you for calling back. For sure. I just wanted to say something really quick. Okay. Just, just really, really quick. You know All right, I mean? of course. I mean, it just has to be said. Somebody has to say it. You know what I mean? Like, of course. This idea, this is like a foregone conclusion that, that Fury's going to win and all this, that, and the third. Let me tell you something, bro. Okay, the last time Fury fought somebody that can match him a little bit in boxing skill was Steve Cunningham, and he got dropped, and then that, that was severely undersized. 
severely undersized. He was jet lagged. Right? He was jet lagged, so, man. Come okay. on now. Well, he, he let me tell you something. If Wilder didn't exist, the guy that would be known as the power puncher of the division is AJ. AJ. And AJ's right hand is devastating. He's got a really good hook. He's got a really good versatile that I think is being completely overlooked. And I think look, the problems he had with an Andy Ruiz, he's not going to have those problems with, 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 with Fury. Andy Ruiz had a low center of gravity. Dude has no neck. Okay, has, you know, could, could take eat punches all night and has a better chin than, than Tyson Fury at the end of the day. Like, point blank, period. Tyson Fury does not have that low center of gravity. He will be dropped if AJ lands clean. And AJ is the best finisher he's ever faced. AJ's not going to go all crazy and wild if he knocks him down like Wilder did, right? Also, he ain't going to be able to just anticipate one punch. He has to worry about the overhand right. He has to worry about a straight and a cross. He needs to worry about a, uh, a hook. He needs to worry about the uppercut, the left and the right uppercut. This is a very dangerous fight for, for Tyson Fury. That's you know what AJ, AJ needs to do is what he did with Latimer Klitschko. Forget the fact of this guy's more experienced than me. Forget the fact that with the aura this guy's bringing and just be him. I, I Again, I think what AJ needs to do is it, make it an ugly fight, you know? Make make Tyson pull back where he can get clipped, you know? And that's what I'm saying. You know, he's got power. He's got youth. And there's a lot of stuff that AJ has. He's just got to utilize it. But, again, I wouldn't advise AJ to try to be the boxer in this fight. Just be you. That's it. That at all. Uh, I don't agree with that whatsoever. I think that the, the worst thing he could do is try to get physical and grapple a much – the dude, the dude's like a bear, okay? Like, like you're not gonna like look how he was twist. He was turning Klitschko in the air and shit. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that's a good idea at all, actually. Okay, um, D style. Last I checked, last I checked, Fury can't pull, can't do pull counters like AJ can. All right, this idea that oh he's a better boxer, that's it in the story. I just don't believe that. AJ's been facing a better competition throughout his career. All right, so period. Outside of Klitschko. Okay, well, you said you said that AJ is not going to get wild in there. Can you remind no. all the listeners on the Leave It in the Ring radio network what happened after he knocked down Andy Ruiz Jr.? He got wild. He didn't get wild, though. He went for the kill. He got caught by a dude that was eating punches like they were M&Ms. It's a, it, He's been hurt before, though. I mean, he was you know, acting like Andy was the first guy to hurt him. He's been hurt before. The problems that he had in the, in that fight, the problems he had with Ruiz, are very unique. Those are not problems he's going to have with Fury. He just isn't. Like Andy Ruiz has much faster hands than Fury. All right, he's a shorter guy. All right, and you know, his punches are more fluid than Fury's. All right, Fury is going to give AJ problems, of course, but it's a different type of fighter. He, uh, this guy is not going to be like I'm telling you right now. Right. Uh, I look Fury cannot just focus on one thing with AJ. Like oh oh yeah, like like with Wilder, he just he knew how, he learned how to time the right hand and it was basically all she wrote. That's not the case right now. AJ will have a hook ready for him if he's yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think Tyson will knock out AJ as everybody's like speculating. I don't think that will happen. It's a different fight the way he the, the way he fought. Uh, you know the way he's gonna, you know, he had fought Wilder, uh, but I, but again, I would have to lean if if 
who's the better fighter, who has more experience, I'm going to lean with Fury because AJ sometimes doesn't know who AJ is. He's showed that. Well, he does know who he is. I, I, he, I is he does know who he is. He's a guy that doesn't <laughs> want to engage in, in the firefight. He's a guy that wants to box from the outside. And when he's on the inside now, since the AJ fight, uh, sorry, since the uh, the uh, Klitschko fight, he's a guy that wants to hug on the inside. He doesn't want to go to work on the inside. He didn't want to engage in infighting against Parker or against Takam. Uh, he That's didn't even. Okay, he didn't really want to do it against against Pulev for that matter. Let, let me just say one more thing before I hang up. Let me just say one more thing. Hmm. Everybody likes to judge AJ what he, uh, because. Oh, look, when he was a reigning champion defending his belt, okay, against in unification fights with Parker or, or, or mandatories, right? Top opposition in the world. Everybody wants to judge, oh, look how he did against this guy. And when he defended the belt against this guy, Fury never defended a belt, ever. He, he, he did not take, he, did, he had mental issues and didn't fight Klitschko a second time. We don't know how that second fight would have gone. We don't know what. Like adjustments Klitschko would have made, the fight didn't happen. Like at the end of the day, and the other guy is Wilder, but we have to question Wilder's level of opposition before he fought, before he fought Fury. And it's also a fighter, a puncher, that he had figured out. This is a different animal he's facing here. And the problems he had with the Parker, the problems he had, by the way, which he won, by the way, problems he had with the Dillian White type fighter, which he won, by the way. A project right. Andy Ruiz, who he beat in the rematch, by the way, are, are very unique and are not problems that, that Fury is going to present at, with him whatsoever. I'm just telling you that right now. This dude does not have a low center of gravity. He will get caught. If he gets caught with an uppercut, which can happen because he does duck low a lot, right? He's going to be. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting the guys you mentioned because they're short, but. You go. Vladimir Kalisko heard him, dropped him, and he was getting caught a lot with a right hand. AJ's a tall guy that throws the right hand um, and then also can throw it as an overhand. Yeah, it's an interesting fight. That's why I'm not knocking it. I'm, I'm not saying that Tyson knocks him out. Um, but I would, again, I would go back to who would be the favorite in this fight. You have to lean with Tyson Fury. No, of course. I mean, look, if I'm Vegas, uh, I understand Vegas will have him. Right. I don't think that's a dispute. Right. Oh, we're, but we're boxing. We're not Vegas, Dave. We're boxing. We're no, no, that, no, but that's what I'm saying, though. That, uh, you know, these styles like, look, this is what, that's how we started. Like, you know, this is what the, what the people would think is going to say. This is the fa betting favorite. But I don't think it's a washover like how, what you're saying. I agree with you. I don't think it's a washover. And that's the reason why we want, I mean, that's the reason why we watch the fights to see what will happen. I, I agree with you. I think AJ has a solid chance. But I think. I think what, I know, I know, you think it's a washover. Right? <laughs> I don't think it is. You know, washover. You know what? Look, th these these grab and hold tactics are not going to work against a six nine, two hundred and seventy pound plus man. Number one. Number two. Fury figured out Wilder. Uh, he took away the right hand. He he's going to master that that distance uh, and that range that Joshua is effective in. He's going to be moving. He's okay. not going to be standing still. But Joshua doesn't throw it the way Wilder does. Joshua does set it up a lot better, and, and he hides it. He hides it better than Wilder. He does hide the punch. 
Wilder telegraphs his punches, no doubt no, no. about it. But Joshua's more versatile. He has more weapons. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, right. like, Fury, it t- he did figure out Wilder after getting knocked down twice, and Wilder let him off the hook twice. You know what mm. I mean? Like, like, cause he got wild as shit. Or started throwing like like windmills. Okay, after you know Fury got back up, it's a completely different type of fight. I'm telling you right now. It's going to be tough. But thanks for taking my call, gentlemen. I'm out. All right, brother. <laughs> no, it was a great conversation. And you know, D-Style brought up some really good points here. Um, I got to admit, you know, I agree with them. It's not it, – it, it's it's actually a far more interesting fight than some folks are putting a label on as yourself and Mokar thinking that Fury is just going to walk through this guy. I don't think that's going to be the case. But I, 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 what I don't agree with them is that AJ should try to be the boxer in this fight. I think he needs to try to be as physical as he can against Tyson Fury. Before D-Style's call, I was 100% convinced that Fury's going to win the fight. After D-Style's call, I'm 100% convinced that Fury- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Cold, that's cold-blooded. Um, all right, man. Let's get down to the fights that are happening this weekend. Everybody wants to talk about, uh, you know, uh, Virgil Ortiz Jr., and Maurice Hooker, which is yeah. going to be another great, great fight. I mean, look, if we had, if we, if we knew there was going to be fireworks with uh, Chocolatito and Estrada, you know, there's going to be fireworks between between Hooker and Ortiz. I like this fight up and down, left to right. Hooker is a kid that's going to come out. He's every time he's came out, he shows that once he puts his teeth in you. He doesn't let go. He's a pet bull in his own own right. Ortiz has shown the potential of being the next big welterweight star in that division. Let me ask you, Bokar, what do you think about this fight coming up this Saturday on the zone? I'm impressed by or by uh, Ortiz tremendously. Uh, to me, he's one of the best prospects in boxing. Uh, you could, I guess, call him a contender at this point. He's one of the best contenders in boxing. I think that Maurice Hooker's move up to 147 is a little bit too late. I think that he was really struggling there at the end of his career at, uh, at 140. I think that the Ramirez loss really showed us that. I think that this move to 147 has really just come out of necessity. And um, I Virgil Ortiz is the younger, natural guy at 147. He's stronger. And what I love about Virgil Ortiz, I always turn back to this. As soon as I found out that this guy's father was a distance runner and that his background in high school was as a cross-country dude, right? wow, that is a savage combination. Cross-country running with boxing. These are two of the most difficult sports to do. They're individual sports or sports where you have to dig deep and find something inside yourself that you didn't even know was there. And... um, the guy's got punching power. He's got an engine. And my biggest regret about the last year of boxing, honestly, one of the top three anyways, has got to be that I did not get to see more Virgil Ortiz and he didn't get to fight more uh, because this guy's one of my favorite fighters right now uh, in boxing. And as much as I like Maurice Hooker, I think he's a great fighter. I think he's going to put up a good test to Virgil Ortiz as best as he can. But I see uh, Virgil Ortiz coming through this, and as bad as I as this might sound, I see him stopping uh, Maurice Hooker in the mid to late rounds. 
making a huge, I mean, seven pounds up, some folks are going to say it's not a huge jump. It's a huge jump. And then to face right now one of the really standout of the welterweight division in Virgil Ortiz Jr., man, that's a massive move to do. And it's a hard task to over to overcome for Maurice Hooker. You know, Maurice Hooker uh, is a kid that can box. He came out, he came on the scene as a boxer and is turned into a boxer puncher. These two guys are what I'm predicting is that within the third round, they're going to be acquaintance. It's going to be quick. You know, they're going to be, the introduction is going to be fast. I don't expect this to draw out, like getting a fight in the sixth and seventh. I really start seeing a fight happening by the end of the second round and then bleed it into that third round there. I'm no car. I see these guys going, okay, we we've already had the introduction. Let's now turn it up and let's see what we're both made of. I know Hooker's going to want to find out what Ortiz is made of, and obviously Ortiz wants to find out was a hundred was the jump seven pounds up a big big mistake for Maurice Hooker. This fight, though, like I said, however long it's going to go, I think guys we're just going to have another great night of leather being flown at at each other's at, at these two guys uh, where we're going to end up satisfied. And this is kind of a battle of Texas, too, which I think is an added interesting dynamic as well. Both of these guys are are Texas guys. And, yeah, I mean, look, that Ramirez loss was not really – did not really look that good to me. And he came back against Uriel Perez, but at the end of the day, who is really Uriel Perez, you know? Um, That's just a confidence builder. He needed it. You yeah. know, going puts in a, a back and forth with Ramirez and – I know you think he didn't look good. I thought he looked great, but I thought he just, you know what? It wasn't his night. There was just one guy in that ring with him that decided to be greater at that moment. I thought you know? skills-wise he looked good. I just thought that the, the the toll that making 140 had taken on him the last couple of years just did not allow him to be the best version of himself anymore at 140. Um, yeah. You know, ideally, in an ideal world, if I was managing his career and training Maurice Hooker, which obviously I'm not, what I would have done a couple years ago, maybe three years ago, was start getting his body ready for 147 and kind of taking on lower level 147 guys as his body develops into a welterweight. What I think has happened in this case is they were starving him down to 140 pounds until he could not make 140 pounds. And then now they're like, yeah, well, now you're a welterweight. Well, like you said, Dave, those seven pounds, are that, that's not a small amount of weight in a competition that is boxing. Right. That is something that you really should be developed into. Um, uh, slight, I'm not going to say like, you know, over many, many years, but at least more gradual than this, especially to take on a top, top, strong, young guy like uh, Virgil Ortiz. So... I got all the respect in the world for Maurice Hooker for taking on this fight, too, because honestly, it's kind of a high risk, low reward fight for him as well, because it's not like Virgil Ortiz has a title. No, it doesn't. But this is just the greatest way of having an introduction to a division is you take up one of the big dogs that people are actually are not clamoring it to go after it as of yet. That's what Hooker is doing. You know, I don't see Hooker doing the mistakes he did with Ramirez, you know, uh, which is making it to a dog-dog fight. I think what he's going to want to try to do in this fight, because 
it's a lesson learned of what he did with Ramirez is he's going to probably want to try to box a little bit more. This is going to be a, a technician blowout type of fight, which, you know, it could end up being what we saw. Well, now it might not, it won't end up being what we saw this past Saturday, but I think we're going to see some high level boxing, but with some real hard punches in between that it's just going to be what the sport's all about. Okay. Um, the thing is, is that can Maurice Hooker get Ortiz out of rhythm? Because what we've seen of Ortiz is that he's he's a poker face fighter, but he's a guy that fights off of rhythm. He needs to get in that rhythm. And once he gets in that rhythm, there's no turning that off. Maurice has got to keep him off, keep him off of turning it on in order for me, in my opinion, to kind of solidify a win over Ortiz. Yeah. And that's going to be difficult to do with a guy who can continuously throw punches because he's got that tremendous aerobic capacity and tenacity that uh, Virgil Ortiz has. The guy's going to be coming at you and is not going to stop. He's going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator movies of my childhood, you know, plus the skills to pay the bills. But look, if anyone can do it, you know, it's it's a former world champion like Maurice Hooker. If anyone can upset right. the card and stall the plans of, of of Virgil Ortiz, so I'm excited about this fight, obviously. And I mean, uh, look, Hooker brings a good jab. Hooker's got good footwork. Hooker knows how to move. He knows how to count counter. He knows when to put apply the pressure when it's needed. You know, the thing the only thing is 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 that he's actually facing a guy that's in the welterweight division that does. The same things, but I would have to say a little bit better, you Hook, know? Hooker's also got uh, great sparring um, in Terrence Crawford, you know, and, yeah. and a good trainer in Bomack who we've had on here on the show. So. And I don't think Bomack is going to have him go out there and make the mistake that he did with Ramirez, which is go all, all dog out. I think what Bomack's going to have him do, like I said, is make it a cat and mouse fight. You know, like you just mentioned, Virgil Ortiz comes forward. He's really good at cutting that ring off and coming forward. But make, 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 did I say Victor? I mean, Virgil Ortiz, make him reach. Try to make him reach. And how you make him reach is never giving him that range. And that means in that, when I was talking about rhythm, don't give him that range. You know, uh, uh, when he's in that range, take a little bit of a half step, make him reach in, and then you can counter. Don't, don't, it's okay sometimes not to be, to, to be first in some fights. And I think that's what Maurice Hooker's got to do. He's got to not be first against Virgil Ortiz. He's got to allow Virgil Ortiz to be first, but he's got to make him reach while he's being first. Yeah, absolutely. And he's going to try to have to find those openings to capitalize. And uh, we'll see how well he can do as, as a counterpuncher because I don't really think, like you said, Dave, he can adopt that kind of come forward style that he did against uh, Ramirez, uh, he's going to have to use his boxing and and trying to find his openings and and counter punch as best as possible, and use a lot of movement too. That's the thing that's going to ask. That's what I think. That's the only question I have for Hooker is Stanima is it, is his legs uh, conditioned enough to go twelve rounds of of giving angles and moving and making it such a cat uh, a cat and mouse fight because. The truth of the matter is this, is Ramirez is not Ortiz. 
I mean, I like Ramirez, but I, if I had to pick who's the better boxer and smarter fighter, I have to lean with Ortiz. I don't know what you feel, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, I I hear you 100%. I'm 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 with you as well right there David. My fans, you want to call in, you certainly can. 347-460-1773. Let's talk some boxing here on Leaving the Ring. Tell me your call in. Tell us your pick here for On the Zone Saturday, Maurice Hooker versus Virgil Ortiz Jr. Again, man, I don't know how much more I could say how much of a good fight. I, I've been looking forward for this fight. I think this is a great uh, challenge for Maurice Hooker. This is a great step up for Virgil Ortiz Jr. Want to see more of, her, uh, of Virgil Ortiz Jr. Um, this could go south really easy for Ortiz if he didn't study Maurice Hooker. Maurice Hooker is not like overcooked fighter, a guy that's done. I think he, he left the division as with about like everything you just mentioned, Amokar. He left the division for certain reasons. You know, um, I thought he fought the wrong fight with Ramirez after getting clipped, as G Funky mentioned in the chat room. You know, that changed the whole game plan, which Mike Tyson say all the time everybody's got a plan till you get punched in the mouth. That happened to Hooker. I was talking to his ex trainer, which is he's probably going to hate my guts right now. His last name is, I believe, is Perez. He was his very first trainer. And I remember talking briefly with him um, through via text. And he even said to me, that was not Maurice. I don't expect Maurice making the same mistakes again until in, in the upcoming leading fights. Okay, he's a really smart kid. So I expect a little bit more from Maurice Hooker. The thing is, it was conditioning, legs, their game plan, and and can they implicate it? Can they, can they apply that against... Ortiz, okay, because Ortiz is a big, strong, strong welterweight, okay, and Ortiz has really hasn't shown a whole lot of kinks in his game yet. Yeah, uh, and it's going to take a guy like Hooker to bring that out of him. Uh, David, I'm going to ask you real quick because Andre brought it up, and it is happening this weekend as well, uh, the Baturviev uh, fight. I... Honestly, I, I don't really see – I see it as more of a comeback fight for Baturviev as anything else. Uh, he's taking on kind of an unheralded uh, opponent this weekend, um, Dien, in, in Dienes, uh, I believe is Adam Dienes? Yeah. Yeah, Adam Dienes. Uh, Baturviev is interesting because he's only 15-0, and 0, you know, and – you think he'd he, Adam is not that far behind either. He's like fourteen, I believe. Uh, I uh, think he's closer to twenty, but yeah, he's oh. he's doesn't. Let me see. Yeah, I think I think so, but um, but it, uh, from my understanding, he's a German guy. Uh, right. He he's lost a, a fight. Uh, he doesn't have really anybody of merit on his record, um, and. Uh, I, he did beat a Chinese fighter that was on his way up in uh, Falnong Meng, but I do not see this dude posing many problems for Artur Baturviev at all. And I would be surprised if this fight uh, went past five rounds, honestly. That's right, 19. He's got 19 wins and 10 KOs. Um, yeah, right. I, I just thought, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a return fight. Um, 
You know, Adam's not that bad of a fighter, though. You know what I mean? I wouldn't go far. I've seen him fight. I, I think he's going to give Petrovia some rounds. I think he's going to give some he, – he's definitely going to be a puzzle for Petrovia to figure out. And the layoff, obviously, is going to add to that. It's going to help out Adam a whole lot, in my in my opinion. You know, so um, it's just one of these fights of, like, his return, let's see how he looks type of deal. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll see, David. But what do you think this, that Dennis can actually do in this fight to kind of stop Baturbia? Baturbia's got that power jab. He's got good body punching. He's a come-forward guy that's a master at cutting off the ring. I, I see a lot of hurt and pain in in Dennis's future, personally. You know, well... You can always draw up, you know, a, a, a strategic plan, but it's can you apply it? You know, and then a lot of times the, the way to take away a nice, good jab is the jab underneath that jab into the armpit. You know, it takes away a strong jab. But is he fast enough? And and also, it's how you step aside. You know how you. So you know, if if a guy's jabbing, some people think that you're going to jab underneath him by just lean, leaning your head. It's actually you're stepping out your, your outside right foot into the jab so you get some power. I don't know if they could do that. You know, I mean, a lot of fighters nowadays don't learn these small tricks. They don't practice these small tricks. What a lot of trainers do is they, you know, do the hand mitt and then, then they put them in with sparring and it's pretty much it's like they're both trying to figure out what is the best game plan. I've never seen Adams actually have to really – well, has it have shown me signs that he can make these kind of adjustments or show that type of IQ? So I don't know. Again, but we don't know how Arthur's going to look, you know. And I think, like I said, it's a comeback. So let's see what happens. That's why I'm not writing it off. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be enough for some rounds. Um, I think Adam is a tough kid, um, but I think he may go like eight, maybe even nine. Now, don't be surprised if it goes to ten. You know. I hope for his sake that it doesn't because if, it, <laughs> if it's going that long, he's going to be getting really hurt as far as I'm concerned. Look, I'm, got, you get a pressure fighter. We all know this. Get a pressure fighter that cuts the ring off and works the body. Normally what you want to do is be the the favorite style that you love, which is Huggy Bear. <laughs> That's how you eliminate a guy from going to the body. You know, Pernell Whitaker was able to lim- uh, uh, numify Julio Cesar Chavez's body attack by how? Grabbing him and turning him, making him reset. But I don't think Adam has the legs to do that. No. And then in another fight, we've got a cruiserweight fight. Right. Uh, this one's going to be on the zone. The other one was on ESPN. I, is that going to be on ESPN or ESPN Plus? I, that is ESPN Plus. I, that's what I thought. So they need to really say that on boxing scene because I didn't think that they'd be showing that at 3 p.m. on ESPN. But, yeah, we've got Lawrence Akoli, Christoph Glowacki. I've seen Glowacki a few times. He's a good high-level cruiserweight out of Poland. Yes. Uh, classic kind of European boxer. Okoli's tall uh, for any division, but especially for cruiserweight has been accused of being kind of boring. Um, I was going to say that. He hasn't really impressed me, to tell you the truth. I know he's been impressed by others. Uh, I mean, look, he's got 12 KOs in his 15 uh, wins right now. But, 
his last outing, if my memory serves me right, it wasn't like the most standout performance, you know? No, I mean, a lot of his performances, to be honest, haven't been really that standout if you're looking at it from a from kind of a, an excitement uh, perspective. Right. But, um, yeah, he's he's got a good test in uh, Glowacki this weekend. And I'm going to be watching this fight because I think it's going to be a good fight. And uh, this is this is honestly a tough one for me to pick, to be honest. Um He's he's six five, you know. He's undefeated. He's got twelve KOs, but Glawaki's thirty two. Sorry, thirty one wins, two losses. And when you look at those losses, you know look who we lost to though, bro. He's only lost to Alexander Usyk and Maris Bradis, who I think are yes. two best fighters in the in the world. Um, Glawaki you know? too. I like what Andre just mentioned right now because I was going to bring this up. He's a master of creating angles. He's yeah. sneaky. He's a sneaky fighter. Yeah. I mean, look, he gets in close. It, he works off of you getting close. He doesn't oh. let you off the hook. And he also is a very throwback kind of fighter that if he misses you, your elbow, his elbow is, is going to be lucky enough to touch you. Bad. He's a physical guy. So 100%. And, for and Lawrence, it's, it's going to be a tough fight. I don't think it's going to be as easy. It's not going to be easy. And you know what? The way that Maris Bredis fight was stopped – uh, I didn't really like it. Uh, you guys Neither did I. None of us did. I don't think anybody did. That was not a good stoppage. Um, no. It was not a fair stoppage. Right. Uh, that was a lot of hometown cooking, if I remember correctly, because yeah. I, believe, I believe it took place in Latvia, uh, that fight. I, I did not like the ending of that fight. I thought he was very hard done. I, I think this I think this dude is the goods, man, uh, Glawaki. And... I'm, I'm actually picking Golovkin to win this fight, to tell you the truth. You, you, just, know? you just took my thunder, man, because I was just about to say that I've got him winning this fight. I, I got him. I think this is too much, too soon for Lawrence Okoli. I really you do. You know, for Lawrence, it's, look, like I said, his performances do not stand out. He looks like a very mellow temper type of fighter. Golovkin's going to go out there, and he's going to change all of that for you. You know, and and in, in in my opinion, if Lawrence can't dictate this pace of what Golaki is used to, it's going to be Golaki all night. And I think Golaki will even get a stoppage mid-round. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see Lawrence O'Cauley kind of running around the ring on deer legs trying to get away from Golaki after being hit. Um, he has not faced anyone yet at all. No. At- pounds that's even close to the level of Glowaki. Uh, he just has not. Um, he's it's, it's a big step up, man. Major step up, and more kudos to you for doing that with you know the record that he's posing yeah. right now. I don't know anybody that would have been in the right mind to say, Yeah, let's go after Golaki. No. Uh, he's a good step, but hey, they might they obviously see something in the kid to go after such a seasoned warrior like this, a rugged warrior. Um, who's crafty. So let's see what he could do. Let's see what he could create. But right now what I'm looking at and what I've seen, I'm just scratching my head like, uh, somebody didn't do their homework. Somebody really didn't do their homework. This is not uh, Luke Chamberlain. You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> this isn't Luke Watkins or Isaac Chamberlain. It's just not. Uh, so we'll see uh, where, where this happens. But 
but nah, man, I, I, I don't like the, this isn't good for, for, for Lawrence Ocoli. Maybe though, they're just trying to, they're just trying to test him now and say, look, if you're not going to beat this guy now, then we're not really going to be uh, investing you much for much more because Ocoli has really received a lot of criticism out in the UK because of his style. Well, that's what I'm saying, too. Yeah, Coley, I mean, look, he needs a fight for he could stand out. He needs a fight that he can get fans to be behind him. This is a fight that if he can pull it off and have a high-level performance over a tested warrior, he's going to get all of the accolade that he deserves. Man, this is a hard assignment. Yeah, it's very. It's a very hard assignment. So that's it, Dave, for the uh, rundown of the week to come. Uh the following week, we've got a, a couple other fights we could get into. Um, they're not really. You do have we do have ringside uh, rings um, ring city who's going to have a great card. Uh, oh, so you guys make sure on Thursday night on NBC Sports check that fight out. Machado um, Machado Fierro fight, right? Yeah, Machado's back. Like to see how he's looking and see where he's going to go. Um, you know, I mean, it's 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 a. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about that fight? Stay busy fight or? You think they might create something to find out exactly where Machado's at now? Well, we're going to see where Machado's at right now. I think when guys are coming off of layoffs and are fighting in COVID, that's often the case, you know? Right. Seeing where guys are. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, I asked this on the Leave It In The Ring roundtable, Dave. I asked people to give – yeah, I'm also bummed uh, Nando that Tanahara fell out the uh, – Japanese Mexican um, fighter there. I, I, I like Hector Tanahara. Really, really good guy. Um, yeah, I'm a little bummed by that. But what is your score of Ring City so far? You know, as a teacher, I was asking people on the round table to give it a grade. I personally give it a grade of an A minus, maybe a B plus. Um, I think that they've been doing a good job, but I just don't know what the next step is for these guys on Ring City because it seems like they're trying to do a show box, right, or a kind of boxing after dark kind of prospect thing, although boxing after dark was probably a little bit higher than that, actually a lot higher. Yeah. Uh, so let me just say show box. But what show box had was they had the next level on Showtime, which was to get these guys fights on Showtime Championship Boxing or even like Showtime Special Edition Boxing or whatever. I don't really know what the next stage is for these Ring City guys unless NBC is going to be putting on like championship fights. What What are your thoughts, Dave? Well, my understanding, speaking to Kurt, you know, who is uh, involved in one of the one of the founders and creators of Ring City used to be uh, he still contributes to leaving the ring. Um that's not what they're looking for. Look, they're looking to create Tuesday night fights type of feel. And I think that's exactly what you're going to get. Um, they're looking to get guys a chance that were probably written off or they're not probably going to end up on a co-main event on, you know, uh, Showbox Generation or even like on, on like The Zone or whatever, okay? This is a, a way of bringing life back into this guy's career. Look what happened with the uh, the kid Adam. A lot of a lot of people didn't really care much about the kid, you know. But you put him in with the right guys, you put him in with the right opponent, and you put him in with the right match. They're going to create some noise, and I think that's what Ring City's been doing so far is that they're putting in the right guys 
with the right level in at the same time. And they're giving them the headline, which normally they wouldn't get that, that spot. And it's giving you that Tuesday night feel. Whether they move on and get bigger fights, I don't think that's what they're hoping to do for everyone. They're, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt. Thompson, Thompson Boxing is another one that does similar exactly. let me format. Give, let me you give know? an example. Adams just had a huge win. Not right. his prospect uh, brutally, actually. Uh, he was yes. a dog in that fight. What's his next step? What does he do after a major win on, on Ring City? I mean, what's the progression? Well, I think the progression is just to get him back on. And like I said, I don't think their plan is to like, okay, for instance, I know where you're going. I know where you're headed to. Like, for instance, ESPN was the first step back in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s. ESPN is your first step. Then you would go either to Showtime or HBO After Dark before you started getting into the pay-per-view. Ring, Ring is not doing any of that. That's not what they're looking to do. All they're looking to do is fill up their time slot with good, good fights. Concentrate on good, good fights. If anything else comes about that, great. But what I understand from what they, how they put it to me, we're focusing on just good, putting good matches. And I think that's the perfect formula. Don't worry about what's ahead of you from a year or two from now. Worry about what's in front of them. Their job is to put good fights. They're not managing fighters. Let's remember that, guys. They're not managing any of these fighters. They're dealing with every other promoter. It's up to the promoter now. Well, Adam, with the successful win, it's up to that promoter. Do they want to put him on ring? Or are they getting offers from DAZN or Top Rank or so-and-so of giving them more money to put them on their platform? That's their part. That's not Ring City. Got it. Um, area code 956. We just got a call. If you could call right back, I'll get you right back in. I'm sorry I missed your call. Uh, area code 956. Uh, we had a call. So, yeah, I, I get that. And I guess what they're doing is they're giving – Fighters that are signed to kind of the boutique promoters, the smaller operations, people who aren't signed to Max Room, to Top Rank, to Golden Boy. Uh, that's pretty much it here in the United States. They are uh, talking to them. You know, like, they, they, look, they, I know that they, they were talking to Golden Boy. I know that they were talking to Max. They're, they're, what they're basically doing is trying to take – they're trying to create the best match, like I mentioned – but also the fighters that are not getting those time slots right now because there's not enough, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the other promoters already bought their time in whatever TV slot, right? So this is Ring City with NBC Sports giving the opportunity for a guy that's not going to be televised, right? You know, it's probably going to be a swing belt. Well, instead of being a swing belt, we're going to make you, we're going to give you airtime. I think that's a great way of, of, of pushing and promoting fighters, man. You know what I mean? I think it's a phenomenal idea, and it's a much-needed idea because it worked in the 80s. It really did. It built fighters. It built a fan base. And boxing has lost a lot of that traditional uh, uh, ingredients, which is build your fighter in your hometown. Build them on, on a smaller network. Get them fights. Get them fighting numerous times on a, on a network before he moved up to the big stage. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a perfect formula that needs to be brought back in a boxing. Uh, it's it's kind of overdue. I agree. Look, I'm never going to be mad at uh, guys getting opportunities to fight um, on air. Um, 
you know, and, and getting opportunities to fight in it, it, it on network TV. So, look, I'm bringing up some uh, some footage here. I mean, I believe they started out at the wild card, right? Yes. And then they moved over to Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico of all places. Um, so, yeah, look, all, all power to these guys. I mean, they're doing their thing, right? And the colors that they're using is appealing. It's easy on the eyes. Um, yeah, can the commentating get better? I mean, if that's the only thing you could pick, come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I actually enjoy Sean Porter. Um, I, I like his commentary. You know, um, every the overall of what I'm getting, the package that I'm receiving, which is for free. I mean, it's not for free. You're paying, you know, a, a, a stream service or cable, whatever, right? But what I'm getting, I think it's well worth it. I think it's great. I give it an A plus. Yo, A plus. Not much room for improvement there. <laughs> Anything can have room and improve, but I think like what they have set themselves up in terms of 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 what they said they're going to do. I mean, no car they delivered. Have they not? Actually, you know what? You're right. I mean, they have kind of done what they said they were going to do. So I can't really knock that, right? I mean, they're putting on cards. They're giving guys opportunities. As we just saw, we've been seeing knockouts. (laughs) I can't knock knockouts, you know? And they're really, honestly, um, I mean, you could say maybe a few of their bouts have been matched or not evenly matched, but that happens in boxing a lot. But um, the majority of the fights that have been put together and have been talked about being put together or evenly matched outs that you're going to get. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You so know? I've been working behind the scenes here to try to get uh, Eric code uh, 956 up on here because they've called in. Um, I've got two lines open over here for our uh, our viewers, and I've been trying to to get this caller in, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So, yeah. Um, if there's any callers out there, we could take uh, another call. Um, again, lines are open. Uh, you, you're seeing uh, the the most recent fight of on, on Ring City. I wasn't... This was actually surprising. I had uh, Boachik. I thought Boachik was going to win this fight, actually, and then he didn't. Um so, well, I yeah. mean, he was the he was the hype, you know, the hype and uh, you know, promise, um, you know. But it just shows you again. I I don't know how much to stress this. This is why we watch the fights because anything can happen in a fight. I mean, look, Chocolatito and Estrada. We knew that it was going to be explosive, but a lot of folks thought that Estrada was going to stop Chocolatito because he's been stopped. He he's shown that he, there's been a crack in the granite chin of his. But look what we end up getting. You know, um, I even tweeted this out. Marcos Caballero, you know, who's a friend of the show, who I've known for for quite for quite a few years. Um, I've said if he gets the win, which I still think he should, his hat should be thrown into uh, trainer of the year. He's really revived the career of Chocolatito. He's really brought back that spirit that a lot of a lot of folks that that wrong the side had beaten out of. The corner work in the fight was tremendous, too. Yeah. The combination of kind of motivational speaking and tactical 
advice was really, really high level. I thought he did a tremendous job in the corner on Saturday. Both both corners were doing phenomenal. Both corners were telling their fighters the truth, you know, because it was so close. They were asking, you know, their fighters to throw more punches, be more aggressive, you know, push the other guy back. I mean, there was nothing more you can add that had so much truth to it, you know. But going back with my original thought of what I was talking about, Marcos, to me, should get the opportunity of getting pointed out as trainer of the year because of how he has revived uh, 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 Roman Gonzalez in so many ways because he was written out just about a year and a half ago. Everybody was thinking this guy could never make a comeback or be in such a high-level competitive fight with one of the best right now in, 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 um, um, you know, in El, El, uh, El Gallo Estrada. Let me ask you something, and I know what Nando's going to say to this, but I want your your opinion on this, David. What yeah. would you rather see right now? Because Estrada is going to be taking on Rung Visay. I think he made that pretty clear. Ah, that's a great fight, man. <laughs> I can't wait for Pretty it. Battle. <laughs> okay, all right, let's go. What we got? <laughs> uh, would you rather see? Oh, we got a call coming in right now. Bring that one in. Right let's bring now. that in. Let's bring that call in. We'll okay. get back to you. What would I rather see? Okay. Uh, 917, you're on live with us. Thank you for calling in to leave it in the ring. Area code 917, hello? 91, hello? Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Because uh, you guys seem like bo- uh, boxing historian, so... I want to know if, like, I spoke to several boxers and they told me back then that um, that the red and blue on the corners symbolized, like, the, you know, the the, the parties. In the yeah, girl- like, normally the blue uh, will symbolize that that guy's going to, like, it's more likely they're going to lose. Uh, the winner The winner's normally on the red corner. Is that what you're asking? No, he's asking if I think if it has to do with Republicans and Democrats. I never yeah, thought of it. They, they told me back then that it used to be that way, like way back then, like under, you know what I mean? That's it. I don't know. You know, I never heard that. I would have to look. I got a bunch of uh, uh, historian boxing books. I would have to go back and do that, man. That's a good question. I've never, never been asked that. That's that, Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I wouldn't surprise me because. You know, boxing is so political. Um, I mean, look, boxing was found in the dark corners and money and mob and, and, and even royal blood was involved in it. That would not surprise me if that's there's if there's truth to that. Right. Because um, a friend of mine in Florida told me that he, he became a journeyman on a boxing, right? So he went to England and he told me, started telling me the stories where they would tell him that um, way back then, you know, like if you're in the red corner or you're in the blue corner, you know, you're like backing up each party and, you know, the corner, the red corner won, you know, which, you know, which one, which guy would get elected. I have never heard this before know, in my I life, know, but it's very intriguing. It's very. I, I would not <laughs> let that get past anybody to tell you the truth, bro. First off, who? I, I'm sorry, I didn't get your name, uh, caller. What's your name? Lt. Lt. You yeah. know what? I would that. I would not let that get past us because that is a strong possibility um, that a lot of matches have happened. Uh, in, in in terms of how you're describing it, it it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's happened one. One time or another. 
Right. Somebody said we I need mean, to see truth. man. It's just crazy because, you know, like, when they tell you this, like, you just want to put your, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, look. Look. <laughs> I remember one time a caller called in. This is, ooh, I want to say, back in 2014, maybe 13. And they said, Dave, do you think boxing um, still can get fixed? And I'm like, boxing still gets fixed. It's just fixed in a completely different form, you know? So there's nothing surprising in this sport at all. I'm just looking at one of these these comments from my man Puerto Rican Rum that says Trump versus Biden on pay per view. Let's do it. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Oh man, no <laughs> man. Like I would imagine, like how he how he explained to me, like how he explained it to me. I'm I'm thinking like, oh, like I'm thinking like the early 1900s. <laughs> Right, oh, these oh. two old these two old dudes going at it in a fucking boxing that match. That would be that yeah. would be fun. Do you remember? Do you remember when Biden, like a couple years ago, uh, said that he wanted to meet him, like outside of the, the school, outside of the gym or whatever? And um, I mean, Biden's challenged people to push ups. He's called people fat. I mean, there was a Mexican <laughs> dude that was. Uh, complaining about his immigration policies, like you'll go vote for Trump then if you don't like it. Uh, yeah, he's that. That would be very interesting. That would be funny. See, like what Andre is saying. This last, I thought you were asking about the red corner being signed to the champion and the blue being signed to the challengers. Normally, it indicates who's more likely going to lose, which would be the blue corner. You know, but what you're asking, I've never heard that, but it's interesting. You know, um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to check into that, man. I'm going to look into that and see if there's any truth to that. Absolutely. Any other thoughts there, LT? And thanks for calling in, bro. It's finally good to hear uh, your voice. Uh, thank you, bro. Um, yeah, man, I just want to see how, uh, I just wanted to say, man, that, uh, man, somehow, like, always the translators let me down, bro. Oh, these guys. <laughs> <are good. laughs> like, bro, like, if it, like. Chocolatito's message was like 100% cocaine, bro. The translator left it like surreal stepped on. You know what I mean? You're absolutely right. That shit was cut out every kind of way. Yeah. All right, man. That's pretty much it, bro. Oh, thank you. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Call back. No problem. Have fun. All right. Take care, fam. Oh, I know. Ray Torres is the worst, <laughs> the greatest of all time. <laughs> oh, man. These interpreters are crazy. It's like, uh, they first of all, they add in things that the people never even said. They add in things, and then they take out things that the people didn't even say. <laughs> Dude, it's not that, it's not that crazy. <laughs> say what the guy said. Julio, so what do you think about that right hand that keep landing in the side of your face? Dijo, so, ¿qué quieres Pepsi or Coke? So, Dave, it is, uh, we, we've had a great show tonight. We've already got to 10, uh, 1030 here. Um, oh, I know. Uh, and I wonder why my stomach is rumbling. But, hey, before we go, get to that question you were going to ask me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, you got me wondering now. Yeah, you lost yeah. the cat. You look so 115. What they've said, and I know Nando, he's still here with us, so I know he's not gonna like this based on a comment that he left last week. Uh, uh, but Estrada is gonna be taking on Rungvisai, that one is set, yes. Right. So, 
The question for you, Dave, is would you rather see Ioka Estrada or Ioka Ancajas? But Estrada and and, and, and Sunberg fighting, right? I mean, that's that's happening. So Ioka, I don't. I meant Ioka Rodriguez uh, um, Gonzalez. Ioka Gonzalez. Ioka mm-hmm. uh, Ancajas. Ancajas, man. Yeah, me too. Because it's for uh-huh. a title. It's a unification fight. Yeah, yeah. And and we've been waiting for that Cajas fight for for quite some time. Not nothing away from Chocolatito, but I I think Chocolatito needs he needs to rest a little bit. Anything Gonzalez needs to go back and just rest just a, a bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I want to see Cajas against Ioka, man. I want those two titles unified, and then I want to see a big super fight for all four belts at the end of the year. Uh, Nando is asking about Kiyaguchi. Kiyaguchi, I gotta have, you gotta give the kid uh, a Vega a rematch. You know, from the waist down, your mind, Vega, you gotta give him a rematch. Let the kid hand heal and give that kid a rematch. He deserves it, but I don't think that's gonna happen. I didn't. I've never seen a midget fight so good, bro. <laughs> I don't know if I would want him a midget in his face the way I saw him fight. Well, I mean, Jesus, he was fought, winning that fight. He was winning. That fight. Fought his ass off, to be honest. Oh my God, he four, was fighting tall, brother. All four foot seven or eight of them, or whatever it was. I mean, he went to work. I, I give him all the credit. He, another guy that impressed me too was uh, was Pitbull on the Showtime card on the undercard. Dude, that guy's tenacious, man. Yes, he is. That guy's tenacious. So, um, look, I, I've uh, I've got to get going here, but I want to uh, thank all of the people who listen in to Leave It in the Ring, man. You guys are family, truly. Uh, Nando, LT, Andre. Uh, we've also got tri- Alexis joining us, which is awesome. Uh, Puerto Rican rum. Um, we obviously had G Funky. D Style was with us here today. And uh, yeah, everybody else. If I'm, I know I'm missing a ton of people. Blood Boxing was here with us, um, so shout out to everybody. Salute to everybody. Uh, we're gonna be doing this again one more week here, I guess. David, we might as well say it now, right? Because you got yeah, we'll be back here on Monday unless they uplift we my got- band. <laughs> by YouTube today, David was. was I was amazing. sent to the principal room. <laughs> All right, so uh, absolutely doing nothing except for talking boxing. Like, holy shit! Yeah, I mean, the first time I've ever been in trouble for doing absolutely nothing. Not even talking, just talking boxing for paying tribute to one of the greatest of all greatest, time. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, all right. So listen, yeah. Thank you everybody for joining in, and uh, we'll see you here again next week. I'll actually be back tomorrow for live at five right here on this channel. We'll be talking boxing, and I'll tweet out the topic earlier in the day, and hopefully David will have time. I know he's busy during the day with work, uh, but we'll definitely get on here again soon. So thank you, everybody, for joining in today. David, any last words? No, guys, just uh, see you next week, Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Again, don't drink and drive because you will spill your beer. All right. Thank you, everyone. You take care.